0: Log Talk Radio.
1: This is Abayomi Azikawe and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine. It's brought to you here on a weekly basis. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikawe. Today is Sunday, uh, February 25th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal this special edition uh, of our program. Later on, uh, we'll be bringing you our regular Pan-African Newswire report. We'll have dispatches uh, on the obstruction of the prison's exchange uh, between uh, Palestine and Israel uh, during talks in Paris. An individual set himself on fire uh, outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. We'll have details on that as well. The Kenyan government is attempting to build unity in the East African community, and violence in the Democratic Republic of Congo has put uh, Uganda on alert. In the second and third hours, we continue our African American History Month commemorative uh, programming with a tribute to Malcolm X, el Haj Malik Shabazz, on the 59th anniversary of his martyrdom. These and other features will be brought to you during the course of our program. Uh, stay tuned. We'll take our musical interlude uh, with the music of Shala Muana from the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, let's listen in.
0: I'm Mama I'm gonna
1: Shalom Mowana from the Democratic Republic of Congo, a classic Pan-African music uh, from the mid-1980s, uh, and you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for this. Name's uh, large. Israel obstructed reaching a final agreement to a ceasefire and prisoner exchange deal uh, during the latest talks in Paris. Private sources in the Palestinian resistance told Al-Mahadim on Sunday evening. Although sources explain that the latest meeting in Paris attempted to bridge the differences and proposed clauses uh, between Hamas and Israel, the meeting saw insufficient changes in the Israeli representatives' positions. <clears throat> in other news, um, a man is in critical condition after setting himself on fire outside the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. Local fire and emergency uh, services confirmed to the Daily Beast. The uh, District of Columbia uh, responded to a call about a person on fire just before 1 p.m. on Sunday. We arrived to find an apparent adult male who had been on fire, Vito Maggioli of the FEM's public information officer, adding that U.S. Secret Service members had extinguished the fire. The man was rushed to a local hospital to be treated for critical, life-threatening Commenting on the incident, the Israeli foreign minister released a statement confirming that an individual set himself on fire near the Israeli embassy in Washington, D.C. You can read these articles in their entirety over the Pan-African Newswire website. In other news, uh, Kenya's President William Ruto desires to bring his reform ideas to the African Union uh, may have matured uh, last week after he was endorsed by Pierce to inherit the role played by Rwandan president, Paul Kagame since 2016. But it may also be a new headache uh, for a man who has attempted to bulldoze his economic ideas uh, through uh, back home, uh, earning criticism and legal landmines in the wake after the 37th ordinary session of the African union assembly last week, president Paul Kagame presented his final report on the African Union reforms and proposed Ruto take over the national uh that with these suggested. The US and the United Nations Security Council to approve UN financing of three quarters of the African Union peace operations for the first time. And uh, finally in the Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, as a result of the fighting taking place there, security agencies in Uganda, the neighboring country, are on high alert following renewed fighting in the restive Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, which has seen disruption of business uh, between the two countries, an influx of refugees, and fears that the war could spill over across the border. Since January, uh, fighting between the Congolese National Army and the m23 rebel groups in the northern kibu province has seen thousands of civilians displaced with many trekking into uganda and dozens of people have been killed the fears are that the regional capital of goma could soon fall into the hands of the rebels as was the case in 2012 which could endanger its 2 million residents with that that we're going to conclude the pan-african newswire segment of the pan-african journal In concluding this segment of our program, we'd like to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service. It is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998. Since then, it has uh, published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches and hundreds of newspapers, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire uh, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, all you need to do is go to our website, and uh, that, of course, is at uh, panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's panafricannews.blogspot.com. And if you'd like to have access uh, to uh, the, the uh, Pan-African Radio Network, uh, which uh, broadcasts uh, the Pan-African Journal, a worldwide radio broadcast on a weekly basis, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network website, and that's at blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash Pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. Uh, We'll be back with more of our program for this week. Uh, the blues legend uh, with the track entitled Born Under a Bad Sign. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for this Sunday. February 25th, uh, 2024, we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We're going to return to our African American History Month programming. Uh, we're going to, of course, listen uh, to uh, the... Last uh, radio uh, broadcast and interview uh, with Malcolm X, he was on a panel with uh, Aubrey Barnett of Boston, uh, Gordon Hall, a so-called expert on extremist organizations who, in fact, was actually a FBI and CIA operative, and Malcolm X uh, being interviewed on Stan Bernard's Contact radio program over CBS, the local affiliate of uh, CBS Radio in New York City on February 18, 1965. Let's listen
2: uh, to uh, this report. What is a black Muslim besides a Negro? And what is the movement? Is it a bona fide religion or just a terror organization? Tonight on Stanford Contact, we're going to have a look at the Muslims and the black nationalists in general. And my guest tonight, Malcolm X, once the number two man in the black Muslims, now broken with Elijah Mohammed, he says he's a marked man and that a number of attempts have been made on his life. And also in the studio, uh, we hope very shortly, Aubrey Barnett is in some difficulty tonight, just before airtime. And Aubrey may join us, and he may not. Uh, He's also split from the organization, and he's written an article in this week's Saturday Evening Post labeled simply, The Black Muslims Are a Fraud. And uh, here is Aubrey Barnett now. And my third guest tonight, Gordon Hall, an expert on extremist organizations. Aubrey Barnett, in your article, you call the black Muslims a fraud. Now, does this just apply to the mosque's methods of raising money or what? Do you think it's a religious fraud as well?
3: I think the entire black Muslim movement is a fraud. And uh, Woodson's Dictionary defines a fraud as deceit, trickery, or a trick. The black Muslims have deceived the public, they've used trickery on trying to attract the Negroes, and they have outright tricked the poor black Muslim members. That's why I say they are a fraud.
2: Uh, now, okay, they've tricked him. Now, this is in terms of the religion itself as well as the money-raising.
3: As far as the religion of, of Islam is concerned, I might say right here, that any similarity between the black Muslims and the true religion of Islam is purely coincidental.
2: Malcolm X, uh, I said at the outset that you were once the number two man. I think I can rightfully say that easily. You were certainly uh, as well-known as, almost as well-known, or as well-known as Elijah Muhammad, Uh, But I never was the number two man. You never were the number two man. I was the number two man, but there were others ahead of me. How do you feel about this comment from Aubrey Barnett? What he's saying
4: is true, especially about, first, especially about the religion. The uh, religion of Islam itself is a religion that uh, is based upon brotherhood and a religion in which the persons who believe in it in no way judge a man by the color of his skin. Uh, The yardstick of measurement in islam is one's deeds one's conscious behavior and the uh yardstick of measurement that was used by elijah muhammad was based upon the color of the skin
2: now it wasn't too long ago that you were preaching uh separation black supremacy you were or or separation at any rate it's not black supremacy it sounded like black supremacy to a lot of people how do you uh equate that now what you're saying today
4: there's not one person who is a muslim who believes in elijah muhammad today who believes in him more strongly than I did. When I was with him, I believed in him 100%. And it was my strong belief in him that made me go along with everything he taught. And I think if you check back on my representation of him while I was with him, I represented him 100%.
2: What is your status now, Malcolm? How do you mean? Right now. Are I'm you a Muslim. Broken?
4: When I, when I, you, you must understand that the black Muslim movement, although it claimed to be a religious movement based upon Islam. It was never acceptable uh, to the orthodox Muslim world, and uh, although at the same time it attracted the most militant, the most dissatisfied of the uh, black community into it, and by them getting into it and the movement itself not having a real action program, it uh, comprised a number of persons who were extremely young and militant but who could not, and who were activists by nature but who couldn't participate in things. So the inactivity of the movement caused a great deal of dissatisfaction until finally dissension broke in and division, and those of us who left regrouped into a, 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 a Muslim movement based upon orthodox Islam.
2: So now that you've broken away, uh, let me ask you a, a question, uh, and this calls for numbers. You're no longer a member. Are you in a, in a membership fight now with Elijah no, Muhammad? No, no. I have never at any time
4: involved myself in a membership fight with Elijah Muhammad. In fact, if you... Go back to the release that I made public at the time of my official departure. I pointed out that I was in no way trying to take away the followers of Elijah Muhammad, but that I myself was going to become a Muslim, but would work among the 22 million non-Muslim Negroes and try to establish some kind of program that would be beneficial to the black American period.
0: There
2: were a lot of numbers that were thrown around some time ago. I guess it was two years ago or so, and the numbers said something like 100,000 Muslims across the United States. And uh, you and your article, Aubrey Barnett, talk about these numbers. You you specify quite clearly. And you ask a question at one point. You say, how large was our membership? The most accurate estimate I ever heard of our strength in Boston came during a radio debate between Gordon Hall, a specialist on extremist organizations, and Malcolm X. And that radio debate took place on Bob Kennedy Contact in Boston. Our sister station, WBZ, uh, held that debate between you, Gordon, and, uh, and Malcolm X. And I heard the taste of that debate. It was quite heated. And uh, it was a very good debate. It was very entertaining, and I enjoyed it. What did you do, um, what now, when you talk about numbers today? And you, Aubrey, mention in your article, you say something like 55 members in all of Boston. 57 in another place. I say Small membership
3: numbers. I'm speaking of of the present membership of the mosque right now. Uh, In Boston, they have probably 55 male members, and uh, uh, Springfield probably uh, 35 or 40 and uh providence will arrive in maybe 10 or 15 members the membership has just about dwindled in half and before i uh, comment on on the actual uh sense of the movement at its peak i'd like to uh add something to what uh, malcolm had just said that not only did the black muslim movement attract dissatisfied negroes and uh it attracted negroes who were uh, contrary to the public uh the popular public belief they did uh attract some negroes who were doing very well in the world but who negroes who thought that the black muslims had a program for improving the condition of the negro in america i I was one of those negroes i was not very much dissatisfied uh as an individual when i came to the muslim movement but i knew that there was a problem existing in the negro community i knew that uh uh, many negroes were suffering from discrimination they were frustrated and there were many problems that would be set in our communities and i thought that muslims black muslims had a, a program for economic upliftment a program of moral upliftment. I thought the Muslims had a program for combating juvenile delinquency.
2: And you saw this as a myth now. I see
3: it see as now? a myth now. I see. Gordon, uh,
2: you you have been a, a critic of all extremist organizations. Uh, you sort of pinpointed uh, the strength of the Muslim organization. And you say that the strength is basically a myth, with these 100,000 numbers. How did, how did you arrive at your own figures?
5: Well, I do this work full-time to begin with, and I've done this work for close to 20 years, and when you follow extremists around, whether they're Negro extremists or white extremists, if you follow a Klan around the way that I did and penetrated their movements and found out numbers, you'll find out that they make a lot of noise all out of proportion to their numbers, just as currently the Negro nationalists in the New York area are making noise all out of proportion to their numbers. And uh, I think the real tip-off, Stan, came when... Uh, Elijah was supposed to speak at the uh, Boston Arena a few summers ago, I think it was July of 1962, and I flew back from the speaking day to Minneapolis and told the press that they couldn't possibly fill the Boston Arena, which seats 7,200 people, even if they brought in all of the um, people from the other mosques around the eastern seaboard, Connecticut, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and so on. I also predicted that Elijah Mohammed would not show up, that he's an incoherent old man, he does not speak well, he doesn't make any sense in his public appearances, And I felt that Malcolm Polly would carry the load that day, and it worked out precisely that way. This was a prediction long before they even opened the doors in the arena. And then, lo and behold, despite all the efforts to allow the white public in plus all the sisters and brothers and all the the uh, fiddle-faddle about the whole show they couldn't even fill downstairs in the arena.
2: And, and they brought was... in 3,000, I think, was the figure, right?
5: Yes, something like that. And that was the clear tip-off to me, that this thing was built on quicksand, that they have never had any members, really. And this is pretty much the history of extremist movements in general, that they make noise all out of proportion to their numbers. This was based really on the reality of the situation and not listening to all the... What grandiose year? statements made by uh, men like that? Malcolm X. What year was that? Uh, I don't have the figures with me, Malcolm. I think it was the summer of 62, if I remember. Oh, you, they, were the, you were the main You, see me, see
2: you see see mentioned there. that in your article, and you say there were 3,000 there. And, uh, and Malcolm, you were the main speaker. I know a lot of white people they, there,
4: too. They, uh, no, there were about 200, which was a lot <laughs> for those days. But I think you'll find that the Muslim movement reached its peak in uh, strength in 1960, 59 and 60. And it began to taper off in 61
5: and, and 62. Do you agree with uh, Aubrey's figures that the peak strength was about 15, 13 to 15,000? Uh, Would that be your estimate as well of the total Muslim movement? No, the, the peak, uh,
4: in 19, yes, in the peak in 1959 and 60, uh, was reached. But it began to go down after Elijah Muhammad, uh, took a trip abroad, plus became involved in other personal problems. And the movement itself began to deteriorate only after Elijah Muhammad put uh, members of his own family in positions of authority, which weakened the structure and caused uh, internal bickering and division, and eventually the movement just petered
2: out. Gentlemen, we're going to get back to this in one moment. It's time for us to make a little money. It's the way the show survives all the time. East side, west side, all around the town. Another money-saving ShopRite supermarket comes to Patterson, New Jersey. At 142-160 West Broadway in Patterson.
0: Open now and ready to
2: serve you everything you could possibly want. In meats, fish, shellfish, fresh produce, canned and frozen foods, baked goods and dairy products. And there's a convenient service appetizer department too. There's plenty of free parking and the store is open late every night of the week. If you can't get to Patterson, get to the Shoprite supermarket nearest you and cash in on the carnival of grand opening celebration values. So why pay more? Shop? Shop Shoprite in Patterson, 142-160 west broadway the winds contact number judson two six four zero five. 6405 That's ju2 6405 you have a question tonight tonight is tonight yes
5: sir. just one more point Stan I think the whole um, point of this last discussion between uh, Aubrey and Malcolm and myself would be to uh, point out that the three of us agree that of a peak figure of say 15,000 regardless of the year whether it was 1960 or 59 this is far below what the press has been estimating all over the country. And fifteen thousand Muslims uh, in any country are not very many Muslims. When you figure that we have, let's say, a, um, uh, a Negro population of close to twenty-two million, this is just well, a drop in the bucket. See, Eric Lincoln came up with a figure of one hundred thousand. Because he doesn't study extremists. That's why he came up with no, that figure.
4: No, I have to uh, contend with that, and I won't go. Uh, I won't go along with what you're saying. In what way? Malcolm, in what way? I See, Eric Lincoln is the person who w- was probably first and to mention a number in regards to black Muslims. But you will never find any figure given out at any time in any way, not by me, uh, concerning the numerical strength of the Muslims. I have never stated. My my standing answer was that the best part of the tree is the root. And uh, I never defined the st- extent of the tree beyond that.
5: I don't, I don't quite the thing you I'm have
4: sure. to consider, uh, Mr. Hall, is, like, when you say that when you study extremist groups, usually they're very small and don't have much of an impact upon the public or drawing among the public, uh, whether you're in the north, south, east, or west here in the state, where the nationalists are concerned, usually nationalists have an anti-press, whereas the civil rights groups, or the accepted civil rights groups, usually the press, the the city government, all of the, uh, machinery that has to do with, uh, public, molding public opinion goes along with civil rights groups. And whenever they're giving something, they have everything going for them toward promoting what they're giving. But when it comes to the nationalists, usually you'll find that they have to almost fight their way into print in advance if they're going to give something. And despite that, uh, those obstacles and that, uh, type of organized opposition, still you'll find the national, the nationalist groups, especially in the New York area, command a large following. I'll give you an example. This coming Sunday at 2 o'clock at the Audubon Ballroom, the Organization of Afro-American Unity, which I'm presently involved in, which is considered nationalist, are having a rally, and you are welcome to attend that. White, black, brown, red, yellow, green, or whatever else you have. And I think you'll find that despite the fact that we get no help whatsoever from the press, that we're able, here in the New York area, to attract larger crowds to our rallies than any other kind of rally that's given, and, they're, and they're, they are given the complete support of the press.
5: But that doesn't prove anything, Malcolm, because Harlem is a big place. You'll, you'll get a lot of uh, Negroes in. You'll get curious whites. That doesn't, that's not your membership. No. Well, nobody? Just as, just as when the Listen. Grand Dragon of the Klan speaks on campus, he will outdraw the Vice President. He
4: doesn't have to have membership to uh, still be the influencing factor in the South. You can't tell me that the Klan is a handful of people in Alabama and then the whole government is pulled behind Martin Luther King and a handful of Klansmen are keeping Dr. King in jail and, and marching Negro children down the road. No, I'm
5: not saying that at all. I'm well, you, then
4: you can't say that extremist groups are not effective and, and, and do not... Uh, uh, re- represent an influencing factor I'm in this in in Muslim society. Muslims, yeah, gentlemen,
5: I I wanna, the Negro community are not question, an uh,
2: important factor. I have <laughs> a question to this point But
4: the clan is an important factor in the white community. It, it, it has, has been yes.
2: Malcolm, right. you say attempts have been made on your life, and uh, that was at in, this afternoon's press conference. You say five different attempts recently. How were they attempted? Yes, uh, more than five. Of course, there was the bombing of the House, yes. you we know about. That occurred Sunday.
4: Now, guess first I would like to point out about that bombing of the house because the press has also been used uh, during the past week to imply that I bombed my own house. I would like to point out right here and now that I have no life insurance. My wife has no life insurance. I have four baby girls, none of whom have life insurance. We don't have health insurance. We don't have fire insurance. We have no kind of insurance whatsoever. And the only uh, uh, group <laughs> that stood to gain anything from the bombing of that house was the black muslim movement in which the insurance is uh uh actually the, the insurance is in their name and i i uh really felt hurt that the press would allow itself to be used to give the public the impression that i would throw a bu- that i would throw a bomb or light a fire to a home in which my family which my wife and family are asleep uh the uh, deputy chief a uh, deputy uh, chief fire marshal, I think his name is uh, Vincent, McCan- uh, Vincent Canty, pointed out to me uh, in the presence of witnesses on that same night that a fireman picked up a bottle of gasoline from my living room that had not exploded. And because this bottle of gasoline was in a whiskey bottle, this fireman placed that uh, a bottle on the dresser in my baby's room thinking that it was a bottle of whiskey. And when my wife came in and saw the bottle there, she asked the fireman, what was it? And the fireman said, "It was whiskey. And well, we know that there's no whiskey in our house. And so she touched it and said, this isn't whiskey, this is something inflammable. And then they took it out. Now, despite that, the, uh, deputy, uh, marshal, deputy, uh, fire chief marshal, having this knowledge and the, uh, uh, police having this knowledge, still this knowledge is, is, uh, kept back from the press. And in the vacuum that exists, then this man, James, down at 116th Street, steps in and tries to give the impression that uh, all of this was done by me. And I think that it is uh, a worse injustice on the part of the press and the police and the firemen to let such uh, impression be given, even then the people who threw the bombs in the house themselves.
2: Aubrey, you were attacked in Boston by a group that you say were members of a Muslim goon squad. How did that come about?
3: Right, well, I I think I should be angry with Malcolm because I think, in a way, Malcolm was responsible for my being attacked. And uh, the reason I was attacked, because the black Muslim movement, losing strength, uh, had to build an enemy. And the enemy they projected was the black Nationalists. Now, because I had left the mosque and, and uh, put the black Muslims behind, they branded me as a black nationalist, even though I had left the mosque sometime before Malcolm ever thought of leaving the mosque. I was still accused of being a follower of Malcolm, although they should have turned around and said Malcolm was following me since nice. that but anyway, I left birth. Anyway, I can testify to the brutality of the black Muslims because I was viciously attacked by the black Muslims and put in the hospital for a week with a, a fractured... I, rather, I was hospitalized for a week, and at home, uh, in bed for another week, I had a fractured rib, uh, a fractured ankle, two fractured vertebrae, and internal injuries, and the reason I was attacked was primarily because I had the audacity to quit the black Muslim movement, and uh, I might point out, as far as the black Muslim's manufacturing stories, one of the most fantastic stories I ever heard was the black Muslim's testimony in the trial, in which they were incidentally were all found guilty of assault and battery on myself and the other. You press charges. Yes, sir. I was one of the first uh, cases in the country where a uh, uh, black Muslim ex-member had press charges against the, the uh, black Muslims for, for being beat up. Uh, I'm not the first one who was beat up. I'm the first one who uh, actually took them, had the, the courage to take them into court. And uh, it, during this trial, uh, they made some outrageous charges. First of all, they charged that uh, John Thomas and myself attacked the off. Two men attacked them off. Uh,
2: you are a mighty 135 I, pounds. I, was 100, I
3: weigh 130 pounds, soaking wet. And with all my clothes on, and probably with a pair of combat boots on, I might weigh 130 pounds. But anyway, I, uh, John Tiemann and myself attacked them off where they may be, uh, according to the black Muslim members, they would have you believe there's a thousand members there. But, uh, there are only probably 55, but two men against 55 is a pretty good odds. But this is the story they gave, that I attacked them off, and during the, the course of the trial, uh, I went to the, after, after the, uh, I was attacked or taken to the city hospital by the Boston police. I stayed there for about two hours, and then the police took me to uh, the Beth Israel. I mean, I had myself transferred to the Beth Israel Hospital. So the lawyer, during the trial, said that uh, I got together with the Beth Israel Hospital and faked all of these injuries. I faked the x-rays showing my fractured rib. I faked the x-rays showing the... Uh, Who the, was the lawyer? The lawyer was uh, Edward Jaco. From New York City? From New York City. Harlem. Ah, uh, Yeah.
0: You mean
4: Edward
3: Jaco came
4: to Boston? And, and accused you of
3: faking these charges? Yes, uh, apparently he wasn't very familiar with the Beth Israel Hospital, because it was one of the biggest hospitals in Boston, and uh, how I ever got, the, got together with the Beth Israel Hospital, to the fake these records, was beyond me. And, and why the Beth Israel uh, didn't take him up on that is beyond me also. But they will fabricate any charges and uh, 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 make up the wildest stories.
2: Gentlemen, we're going to get to the telephones in just one moment. Would you like to play an active part in education in your community?
3: You can right now by
2: helping the Board of Education to fill the vacancies on the local school board in your district, which is the link between your community and the New York City Board of Education. Wynn suggests that you write the coordinator of local school boards, 110 Livingston Street, Brooklyn, or you can call 596-8993 for further information. Applications must be submitted by March 15th. That's March 15th. Let's get right to the telephones. Uh, I will ask
4: him just the question: Was yeah. Edward Jacko retained
3: by the Muslims in Boston, or
4: was he retained by the Chicago headquarters? He was uh,
3: retained by the H- Chicago headquarters because the black Muslims were found guilty in lower court and advised by the judge to plead guilty and uh, pay me restitution, two thousand dollars for the damages I sustained, and uh, he would give them a suspended sentence. But they, in order to Chicago, they appealed the sentence and, and uh, they fired their other lawyer and uh, imported Edward Jacko from New York. Okay, let's get to work. One quick comment on this general uh, discussion of the courts and such.
5: Aubrey took his case into the courts, uh, placed it in the hands of what he feels is uh, reasonably fair and uncorrupt courts and justices and so on, and his case has been settled. I would charge that Malcolm's one-sided account of what actually happened in his home and everything will have to be settled by the courts for investigation and all the rest, and I warn your listeners to... Not to be simply accepted at face value, but to watch the newspapers and see what does develop in this oh. current well, case. Well, yeah, I mean, What do you mean by that? The case was set. I mean just what I said, by Not satisfactory. Well. These
3: Muslims, I must point out, were given suspended sentences but they were against convicted. the law, against the laws of Massachusetts. The statutes of Massachusetts say that you cannot give a person a suspended sentence when he's been convicted of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon.
2: Well, there's another point. Uh, there were actual suspects in that case. And uh, let me say this about, uh, in terms of fair play, uh, in, in, on this... Uh, on the station, uh, the Muslims are going to have a chance on March 3rd to answer every single charge that has been made here tonight against
6: them. Well, actually, you have should have assigned. had the
2: Muslims here tonight. Well, uh, there's a little problem with that, and uh, we are going to arrange a program yeah. for them, and they are going to be appearing, uh, including, and by the way, there's a good chance that Elijah Muhammad may appear on the program via the telephone, uh, and uh, we're looking forward to that, of course. We're trying to arrange that now. Uh, as soon as they were apprised of the fact that you were coming on the program tonight, they asked for equal time, and although it doesn't really come under the equal time provisions uh, by the FCC, we are going ahead and are giving them a program. Uh, I believe it's March 3rd or March 4th. So let's get to our telephones. We have an awful lot of... That was not
5: the point, however, that I made. My only point was this, Dan, simply that there are charges and counter charges leveled by dissident factions within the Negro community, the small dissident factions we're talking about tonight. But uh, these things will be thoroughly investigated by law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and justice will be done in the end, just as the Black Liberation Front will claim that they weren't really trying to blow up anything, but the evidence is clear that they were trying to blow up the Statue of Liberty, despite their charges now that they're being framed. Um, uh, Mr. Hall,
4: today, uh, we demanded uh, that, that the FBI launch an immediate investigation of the bombing of my home on Sunday morning.
5: Very good, and I'm confident that... Uh, because we were
4: charging a conspiracy on the part of some firemen, some policemen, and some newsmen to work together to cover up the part played by Elijah's followers in the bombing, and to give the public the impression that I bombed it myself by withholding valuable information from the public and telling half-truth through the press. We demanded the FBI Very
0: investigation, good. Very good. and
4: I pointed out that my attorney had suggested that I and my wife submit ourselves to a lie detector test, and that every policeman and fireman who entered that house that night do likewise. And we also suggest to uh, the minister of the local temple here, who represents Elijah, Uh, That he, too, submit himself to a lie detector test, and Joseph, the fat one, submit himself to a lie detector test, since he has implied that the bombing was done by people other than himself. So we're not in any way, sir, ducking away from any kind of investigation. We just demand that it be done by an impartial body and that it be done immediately. Very good. Gentlemen.
2: Let's do a station break right about now. This is yours truly, W.I.N.S., the Group W station, Westinghouse Broadcasting for New York. We're going to get back to things in just about 40 seconds.
0: Hey, Stella, do I need my umbrella? Should I bundle? Oh don't be slow, it's important to me what the weather really gonna be.
2: Partly cloudy and then becoming fair tomorrow, colder with a high in the upper 30s, clear and cold tomorrow night, the low 20 to 25, and for Saturday, fair and continued seasonably cold. The current temperature, 36 degrees. (laughs) What is a black Muslim besides a Negro? What is the movement? Is it a bona fide religion or just a terror organization? Tonight on St. Bernard Contact, we're talking about black nationalism and my guest Malcolm X. Aubrey Barnett. Aubrey is a former black Muslim official from Boston. He's uh, split from the organization and has written an article in this week's Saturday evening post labeled simply, The Black Muslims Are a Fraud. And it's not a simple article at all. It runs about seven pages and it's absolutely fascinating. And my third guest tonight, Gordon Hall, an expert on extremist organizations. You know, we haven't taken a single phone call yet, gentlemen, and I would like to very much right now. Let's find out what's going on out there. The winds contact number, Judson 26405. This is Stan Bernard. Contact. You're on the air.
6: Yes, I'd like to say that uh, there's one thing about this business about Malcolm's home being bombed that really bothers me. Uh, the He charges that the black Muslims did this. Now, there's one thing. They happen to own this home. It's not Malcolm's home. It's the black Muslims' home. Now, it seems very odd to me that the black Muslims would uh, want to destroy their own property. It would seem uh, more likely to me that Malcolm X would want to destroy the black Muslim's property. In other words, if he would try to uh, just throw a couple of uh, innocuous bombs in there, they're not going to hurt anybody. Uh, he knows they're not going to hurt anybody. They won't do too much damage. And he'll have a lot of publicity for himself. And then he can charge all he wants to. I'll take a lie detector test because he knows that a lie detector test is not admissible into, in court as evidence of anything.
2: Malcolm, how do you answer that?
4: I say this, that the black Muslim movement has never uh, had as their motive the acquiring of that home. The the, the possession of the home itself means nothing. Elijah Muhammad lives in a $150,000 house in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, That house is worth less than $15,000. It's not the home itself, the material home itself, that is the object of the present uh, court battle. There's more to it than that. And anybody, uh, I should think people should question the deputy fire uh, marshal and the others who investigated the bombing out there that night and let them give their story as to whether or not I could have set those bombs. And this is why I say I charged a conspiracy on the part of some of the firemen and some of the police and some of the press to give
2: the impression that I set it. Why Any, would they side with the Black Muslim Organization against you, though, Malcolm? I yeah, don't understand that. Well, uh, why you, let's, not let's, them? Why them, not you? Let me answer your question this way:
4: uh, The press, whenever I mention that an attempt has been made on my life, they uh, print it in such a way that I am uh, implying that uh, an attempt has been made. The black Muslim movement tried to kill me in uh, Los Angeles Airport two weeks ago while I was in in the uh, company of the Los Angeles police. The Los Angeles police stopped the TWA Airlines from taking off. They slipped, they slipped uh, Airlines uh, flight from taking off. They slipped me uh, into a private room onto the plane through the basement uh, because of the presence of these persons in the airport who were completely heedless of the presence of the police. Now this airliner was held up an hour and a half, every passenger aboard it was taken off, his luggage was searched. I was kept on the plane, my luggage was searched, and then the uh, TW airline security agent flew to Chicago from Los Angeles with me. I was met at the airport in, in Chicago by the assistant uh, attorney general of the state of Illinois and at least 20 different detectives. I was held in there uh custody for 24 hours i appeared on the cup sonette show when i came out of the studio officials of the black muslim movement in chicago even tried to attack the police to get at me this was the the los angeles incident was not reported in the press the chicago incident was not reported in the press a couple of days later i appeared on uh david sustine's hotline uh, on a tuesday night february the 2nd entering the studio that night the uh police department had to clash with uh, about 30 members of the local black Muslim movement who tried to uh, inflict physical harm upon those who were appearing on the program. None of this was mentioned in the press whatsoever. Uh, now, when by this type of uh, incident being kept from the press, then when I jump out and say that somebody is trying to kill me, the implication is given that I'm trying to do some publicity seeking or that I'm just making these stories up. But the police department from coast to coast in this country have the black Muslim movement well infiltrated, just as they have any other group well infiltrated. They are well aware of these uh, plots and
2: discussions that take place. They can stop them if they wanted Malcolm, as a member of the press, I have to say at this point that I've never heard anybody say to me or to anybody else, do not print anything about Malcolm X or do not or suppress a story. I have never heard that happen. When your house uh, was bombed, it was handled as a lead story all the way. And whenever anybody that I know who is a member of the press is apprised of anything to do with Malcolm X, you're news. Sir, but here's the point. I'm news as as long
4: as what the news is about is something to project me in the image of someone with horns. But when it comes to objective reporting on things, I have
2: you on this program tonight. I have you on this program tonight, and I don't think anybody is knocking you, and I don't think anybody... I don't no, want I, to get I, that, this down I, to No, I'm No, I'm not saying
4: that. I'm not dealing with your program. I'm not dealing with your program. I'm dealing with this, that the impression like this man here, who just called in, tried to imply that I bombed my own home. Now, if he were aware of the physical attempts that have been made upon my life during the past year, and the number of attempts that have been made, why, it wouldn't be difficult at all for him to see the uh, ease with which that particular movement
5: can blow someone's house up.
2: Gordon?
5: May I suggest one of the reasons, Malcolm, why you have the kind of image that you have in the broad public? I saw you on television the day that your home was bombed, and I, too, am a public lecturer who travels from state to state giving lectures before large audiences. You were smiling, and you were about to board a plane to go to Detroit on the same day that your home was bombed, you carried out a speaking engagement. If that happened in my home, I would never think of leaving my loved ones for fear that something might happen while I'm gone. You got to a my, and went to Detroit and gave a lecture. The
4: black Muslim movement had its origin, as you know. But is that not true? Hold on. I'm going to explain it. The black Muslim movement, as you, an expert, supposedly knows, had its origin in Detroit, Michigan. Now, those who are in the black Muslim movement symbolically uh, regard uh, Detroit as the Mecca, the uh, root or the focal point of uh, the origin or beginning of Elijah Muhammad's movement in this, in this country. The fact that I was to appear at a rally in Detroit had been highly publicized in Detroit. My wife and I felt that one of the purposes of the bombing of the house was to keep me from going to Detroit. We discussed it, and she encouraged me not to delay my trip. I went to Detroit, made the speaking engagement, and flew right back here.
2: The wind's contact number, Judson two six four zero five. This is Stan Bernard. Contact, you're on the air. Hello? Yes.
6: Hello, I'd like to address my question to Malcolm X. Go right ahead. Hello, uh, Malcolm?
2: Yes,
4: sir. Well,
6: I don't sound, mean to sound rude, but uh, aren't you kind of a hypocrite because you went all around the country preaching uh, for the black Muslims?
4: No, I think I'm quite honest. Because as long as I believed in what Elijah Muhammad was teaching uh. and what he represented, I, I represented him 100%. Now, I know how bad it makes me look to tell you today what Elijah Muhammad is doing. That does not concern me. As long as I believed in him, I represented him. But there were things about Elijah Muhammad that his followers right now know and that I know. Yes, that that uh, when he became faced with it, he didn't stand up to it as a man. And when he failed to be able to stand up to his own... Uh, problem as a man, it was then that those of us who left the movement realized not only was he not divine, but he wasn't even a man. And it was then that we began to re-examine all of what he taught, and I was fortunate enough to be able to go into the Muslim world and discuss the whole situation with the Muslims there, and since then I have been trying to practice the orthodox religion of Islam. But despite the fact that I'm trying to practice the orthodox religion of Islam, I don't blind myself to the fact that our people in in this country we still have a problem that goes above and beyond religion, so we set up another organization that is not religious uh, in order for all of us uh, who want to participate in the struggle against these social, economic, and political evils in this country that confront our people can participate in them. And I don't think it's hypocritical at all for a person to be wrong and admit that he was wrong. Aubrey, I think it's hypocritical when you pretend to still believe in something when you cease believing in it.
2: Aubrey, you stopped believing, too. Uh, you left the Muslim movement. You wrote this article, uh, The Black Muslims Are a Fraud. What were some of the specific things you saw in the movement that drove you away from it?
3: Well, some of the uh, specific things that, that I saw that drove me away from it was, I'll take, for, uh, for example, the economic myth. Uh, the Muslims in their propaganda have projected the thought that they had a vast economic empire in Chicago. This is one of the things that really attracted me to the movement. When I uh first became aware of the movement I was a college student and I'd graduated from I was just in the process of graduating from Boston University and I got a degree in uh Bachelor of Science degree in business administration. And when I started attending meetings they used to tell me about the big businesses they had out in Chicago. Uh eleven months after I joined the movement, I finally went and saw these big businesses. And they consisted of a grocery store, a barber shop a restaurant, and a dress factory, uh, which had three power sewing machines in it. Now, I was greatly disillusioned when I saw these things, and but this was the extent of the great uh, Muslim empire that uh, they had been speaking about. So, Well, quickly. was
2: it just size? I mean, uh, a lot of people, You were, were you just disappointed in, in the fact that the size wasn't everything that uh, everybody thought it was going to be?
3: I was disappointed because they had uh, projected this as being... Uh, in fact, in the literature, they had uh, described it as... Elijah Muhammad had invented a great communal system where the people, you know, the Negroes could get together and build businesses that would employ, uh, give employment, you know, to all Negroes who needed a job. And uh, when I got out there, I, I found out that these were businesses that Negroes had been establishing all across the country without uh, inventing any new communal system. I've very something disappointed. about economics.
4: Uh, what do you think is true? But I think I can shed a little clearer light on it. Uh, the businesses uh, that the uh, Muslim movement had established from coast to coast, all of them operated in the red. There was only one business in the entire uh, Muslim movement that operated in the black, and that was the restaurant there on uh, 116th Street right here in New York. In fact, the only businesses, the only Muslims in business who operated businesses in the black were the Muslims in the New York area. And one of the bones of contention that developed between the factions in the black Muslim movement was the jealousy that developed in Chicago toward the New York Muslims because they were more successful than the ones there in Chicago. Uh, there,
3: there was another business, I think, that operated Which in was the one? black, and that was the dress factory. Uh, and the reason that operated in the black was because they had a, a, a captive market. Uh, one of the things that the black Muslim members had to do was to buy these long robes for the women to wear. Now, although the Muslim women were encouraged to learn how to sew, they were also forbidden to sew their own garments. So they had to buy these garments from the dress factory in Chicago, which incidentally was owned by the daughter of Elijah Muhammad, Efra Sharif. So this was a very successful business, since in order to buy all these outfits, you had to spend $200 to get the complete outfit. Gordon? A point of fact, I think, that
5: also should be mentioned in connection with the businesses, that most of the Muslim businesses stand around the country, those advertising in the paper and so on, uh, were not businesses established by men who joined the mosque and then became businessmen. They were businessmen who had established businesses who then joined the mosque and the Muslims cra- claimed these businesses as their own. Is that not true, Malta? In some, in part. Uh, I think there are instances
4: where, uh, one thing the uh, Muslim movement did do, uh, persons who never thought in terms of business, they were so much business, so much talk about business was, uh, stressed that many who didn't have any business knowledge at all would become involved in a business venture, and then that bi- venture would, would fold, which actually was worse for the movement than it was good for the movement. And uh, But I want to point out that uh, the businesses in Chicago, as Elijah Muhammad has told me from his own mouth, were such a failure that he subsidized them himself. He used to run those businesses from money uh, uh, with money out of his own pocket so that they would serve as a front. And uh, he always pointed out that the... Uh, none of his, especially his sons and those around him, had any business ability. And it developed within them a lot of envy and jealousy toward the New York Muslims because the, successful,
2: the, most, the most successful businessmen among the Muslims were those right here in the New York area. I've uh, got to earn a little money right now. Fellas. Top quality sale at all damn supreme supermarkets. Save, save, save on the finest meat. You'll know the difference the minute you taste it. This week, Dan's is featuring Morel's Pride boneless, skinless, shankless, fully cooked canned ham, five pound size, two ninety eight. That's right, Morel's Pride boneless, skinless, shankless Cantam, five pound size for only two ninety eight. You'll find more total food savings each and every week at all Dan's Supreme supermarkets. The win's contact number: Judson two six four zero five. This is Stan Bernard. Contact you're on the air. Right ahead. You there? No, let's try the next one, please. This is contact. You're on the air. Uh,
0: I'd like to address my question to Malcolm. I'd like to know, sir, why do you still use your ex? And as far as the uh, public opinion about you, maybe it's because of your abrupt change to the black Muslim group to form your own national group that the public is sort of like, they don't exactly know uh, where you stand. I mean, they figured, like you said before, that you were with me. Uh, black Muslim, and you were uh, definitely with Mohammed, I'm sure that some of the public feel that now
6: that you're with someone else, that they're sort of like uh, influencing you as far as your beliefs. Are concerned.
4: That's why I've been uh, very slow since I returned from Africa to really uh, go all out in the formation, or rather I should say the, yes, the formation of the two organizations in which I'm involved. If you recall, when I was in Mecca, I wrote a letter back saying that when I came, when I returned to America, I wouldn't rest until I exposed Elijah Muhammad as the religious faker that he was. I was uh, 100% sincere in saying that. Uh, but when I returned, one of the reasons that I avo- that I initially avoided any kind of discussion or or talk about Elijah Muhammad and the Black Muslim movement after leaving Mecca, uh, rather before going to Mecca, I had an hour and a half conversation with President Nasser in Egypt. After leaving Mecca, I had, I spent three hours with President Julius Nyeri in, what was then Tanganyika, is now Tanzania. I spent uh, a couple of days with President Jomo Kenyatta and uh, uh, the Prime Minister Milton Obote of Uganda, and also President Azikwe in uh, Nigeria, President Nkrumah in Ghana, President Sukut in, uh, in Guinea. And I had an opportunity to discuss the problem of black people on the African continent plus uh, the, the plight of our people in this country. And and uh, I, will not, I w- won't hesitate to say that conversations with these men broadened my scope tremendously beyond what it was before I went over there. And I felt when I came back that uh, the many uh, things that I had learned would be constructive or, co- or could be used constructively by black people in this country in our struggle for human dignity. And I felt that I would be wasting my time entering into some kind of dispute with Elijah Muhammad and his followers. And so I spent my time, when I first came back here, trying to get the Organization of Afro-American Unity consolidated plus the Muslim Mosque, which is based upon Orthodox Islam. But the black Muslim movement was fearful that if I was ever left alone long enough to get my feet firmly planted on the ground and get our program out here in the public, that it would uh, be too much competition for what they had already projected or had in mind.
2: Let me ask you this, Malcolm. you at one time espoused complete separation of of the of the race. I must say this in what
4: concerning what Elijah Muhammad said about said about separation. He didn't espouse separation. What he said was this: that the government should, if the government can't give complete equality right now, then the government should permit black people to go back to Africa. He did never say back to Africa. Elijah Muhammad has never made one statement that's pro-African, and he has never, in any of his speeches or written or oral, said anything to his followers about Africa. What he, about a black he, state he, in the United States? He was as anti-African as he was anti-white. Did you say a black state in the no, United so States? No. So what he said was we should go back to our own and he phrased it like that because if he spelled it out he would have to point to some geographic area and he would have to have the consent of the people in that geographic area which he knew he couldn't get. So he just kept it elusive and said let's go back to our own. And if, if the government wouldn't let us go back to our own then he said separation should set up right here. But at no time did he ever enter into any kind of activity or action that was designed to bring any of this into existence. And it was this lack of action that uh, led many of the activists within the movement to become disillusioned
2: and dissatisfied and eventually leave it. Let's go right back to the phone. So when's contact number? Judson 26405. This is Stabernard. Contact, you're on the air. Uh, I'd
6: like to direct my question to Malcolm. Yes. Uh, I've traced the uh, Muslim history. I'm a student in college right now. I've done some research on this and uh, i've heard a lot about the F.O.I. the secret police and i've tried to dig up some information on it but everywhere the information has eluded me i wonder if malcolm could fill me in on some of the details of the foi well,
4: well in this uh, article by aubrey in this week's Saturday evening post he point, points out i think it's pointed out beautifully for the first time too that the foi was not a special group among the muslims but every muslim male when he became a registered follower of Elijah Muhammad uh, was an FOI, and uh, but the press got the impression that it was a special or select group uh, within the Muslims that constituted the FOI.
7: Phil, there's your answer. And, and
4: I might even point out, too, that uh, if you go back and examine the Muslim philosophy and its general overall temperament, up until 1960, you'll find that it was a group of people who tried to practice religion. I don't think that the real rock that in until after 1960. This is why I was pointing out to Mr. Hall that it began to deteriorate and decline after 1960.
2: What were the rules, Aubrey, that you, had a, you came in contact with? Uh, you used to read uh, the charges, uh, according to your article, against people who were brought up by charges in your mosque.
7: you
4: go back and examine the Muslim philosophy and its general overall temperament, up until 1960, you'll find that it was a group of people who tried to practice religion. I don't think that the real rot set in until after 1960. This is why I was pointing out to Mr. Hall that it began to deteriorate and decline after 1960. What were some of
2: the rules, Aubrey, that you, had a, you came in contact with? Uh, you used to read uh, the charges, uh, according to your article, against people who were brought up by charges in your mosque. What kind of rules were they that were broken?
3: Well, uh, the black Muslims have their own rules and regulations that each member must follow. Uh, they have such strict rules as you can't go to the theater, you couldn't go to a sporting event, you couldn't uh, attend a Christian funeral, or even a Christian wedding, even if it was a relative of yours. Now, there's a very specific reason they do this. Uh, there are two reasons. One reason is because it costs money to do these things, and the other, thing, other reason is they're teaching total dissatisfaction with the present society, so that if you can do anything to gain any satisfaction whatsoever from today's society, then you're, going, uh, you're contradicting what they're teaching. So a member would be punished, uh, he could be put out of the mosque or punished in other ways for going to a fear.
4: And for adultery or fornication, uh, if a Muslim man or woman had anything to do whatsoever uh, with any uh, man or woman to whom he or she was not married, uh, that person would be given from one to five years out of the society. That is, they would be brought in front of the Muslim body and totally humiliated, uh, uh, which is a, uh, uh, the worst form of psychological treatment that you can receive. Then they would be isolated. Uh, into a category where they would have no intercourse whatsoever with the Muslim community for a, a solid year And if they came back on probation, they'd be on probation for four, for four years. Now in 1954 A young girl who was a secretary in Chicago uh, Became pregnant and she was brought in front of the Muslim community. She was humiliated She was isolated by the judge who was Elijah Muhammad and uh, everyone took it for granted that the father of her child was a non-Muslim uh, because the uh, other uh, half was never brought to trial. In 1956, uh, it happened to another young secretary in Chicago. In 1960, it happened to four more young secretaries in Chicago. And everyone at each time took it for granted that this was uh that the father of these uh, uh, offspring was a non-Muslim. I know the charge you're going to make. I'm not going to make uh, any charge because I, okay. I know what your libel laws are. I, I wouldn't say that, but here's I, what I'm pointing out. Anytime you find uh, a judge who will sit on a bench, and a young girl will come before him, and that young girl will be charged with adultery, and he will humiliate her, almost uh, castigate her, and then sentence her into oblivion solely to keep the court from knowing that he himself is the father of her children. That judge is not only fit to be a judge, but he's not even a man, because he doesn't even accept the fatherhood of the children which he he is responsible for having brought into this world. And this... Type of uh, rot is what caused the moral deterioration within the Black Muslim movement today. Formerly, if you notice, no matter what kind of criticism you had of the Muslims, they were disciplined morally. They they didn't drink, they didn't smoke, they tried to show respect for people, uh, and uh, there was that uh, force within it which was a spiritual force that made the rank and file one who believed in it capable of abstaining from many of the moral uh, weaknesses. But after the real faith the spirit, the religious side or the real spiritual power began to fade from the uh black muslim movement the power that used to enable the brothers and sisters to uh let their higher tendencies dominate rather than their lower tendencies it was switched around so that today the reason you have so much incident of muslim attacking muslim is because the spiritual force that used to exist in the movement among the rank and file uh is gone so now you have an organized group of people who do not have the moral strength to rise above or contain themselves from falling victim to their own low desires. Gordon?
5: This is this is, you know, I wish we had time. This is such a bundle of contradictions. All these words. Malcolm is the greatest one in the world for eating up the clock. He does it every time that I sit across the table from him. Now, he said at the outset that Aubrey X's piece, or Aubrey Barnett's piece, is a wonderful piece. And Aubrey says that the religious emphasis in the Muslim movement was a total fraud from start to finish. And now we're getting uh, the story about this great uplift and the deterioration. No, 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 no. no.
4: The religious uh, 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 ingredient in the black Muslim movement was a fraud in the sense that it identified itself as an Islamic movement, as an Islamic, uh, of, of being of an Islamic nature. It was a fraud in that that it had it was diametrically opposed to Islam. It was uh, Elijah Muhammad himself is anti-Arab. He's more anti-Arab than probably the Israelis are. Now, when I say about the religion, the religion, sir, is belief in something. You don't have to be of a specific persuasion
5: I'm well aware for it of to that be a religion. You so, have to define uh, for the, me. No,
4: what the black Muslims believe in, they believe in it religiously. We believed in Yaqub. We believed in. Uh, uh what Elijah Muhammad taught about an airplane up in the sky. We believe in I some know. of the most fantastic things that you could ever imagine. Uh, gentlemen, but we believed in it,
2: because with us it was a religion. I right? have a question about the New York City Police Department. Uh, they would like to tell you that they have a new telephone number for public use in any emergency. Uh, if you need emergency police or ambulance service, dial 440-1234. That's 440-1234 for emergency police or ambulance service. Remember that number, 440-1234 for emergency police or ambulance service. We're going to continue in just a moment, uh, Gordon. Wait one second. I want to say a word about the tomorrow night on Stan Bernard Contact. We have a beautiful show tomorrow night, probably the most beautiful show we've ever done. We are collecting models for the show. It's been my pleasure to collect uh, a bevy of beautiful women. We're going to be doing a show on modeling in New York. And uh, what does it take to become a model, and how difficult is it to find success? Well, you get the answers from Candy Jones, beauty expert, teacher, and representative for models, and from the girls themselves, the successful models of all types and ages. At modeling tomorrow night, 10.30 on St Bernard. Contact. One more thing, east side, west side, all around the town. Another money-saving ShopRite supermarket comes to Patterson, New Jersey at 142-160 West Broadway in Patterson. They're open now and ready to serve you everything you could possibly want in meats, fish, shellfish, fresh produce, canned and frozen foods, baked goods and dairy products. And there's a convenient service appetizer department, too. There's plenty of free parking, and the store is open late every night of the week. If you can't get to Patterson, get to the Shoprite supermarket nearest you and cash in on the carnival of grand opening celebration values. So why pay more? Gordon, you can say something.
5: One of the distressing aspects of a discussion like this with limited time <coughs> is that with this great outpouring of words on the part of someone like Malcolm an average listener, both Negro and white, might get the idea that this is what life is all about in the Negro community, and this isn't what life is all about in the Negro community. We're still talking about a handful of Muslims and a much smaller handful of followers of Malcolm X. Well, I I want to
2: ask you a question, though. Uh, You know, we're talking about terror. We're talking about terror. Malcolm X says uh, that he's, in a sense, terrorized. Uh, He's not frightened. No, what? wait a minute. I'm well, not no, no, I, I terrorized mean, out. The no, I don't, I, mean, mean, I don't mean you're scared. Terrorized. I don't mean you're scared. I mean, Well, I'm not terrorized been, no, either. Threats have been made on your life.
4: Well, that's still. Threats are a far cry from me
2: being terrorized. No, well, a man, a ma- somebody me. can run down the street at you, and uh, he can... Uh, threaten you and you can call it you can stick a label on it and you can say that somebody is terrorizing a community yes. and uh, they can be indeed and well, you can say that uh, well then you're not frightened that's okay i we'll all do you're respect to you sir okay, is terrorizing me okay you're not terrorized then, uh, but you are being threatened yes. let's accept that yes. you are being threatened five times you say recently in your house has been bombed uh, you're an, an, an expert on extremist organizations Gordon Hall and I get threatened I might add a good deal and the last place that
5: I take threats on my body and I have also been beaten up very badly too the last place that I take them is to the press to tell them all about it because it gives other people ideas I keep these things to myself this is one of the hazards of being in the field that I am in and I don't go announcing it to the press every chance that I get
2: that's uh, your attitude you announce it Uh, all the time why? no
5: I have
4: not announced it all the time Mm -hmm. I have answered the charges made by the black Muslim movement on 116th street The charges, the charges that I'm seeking publicity and, and and pretending to be threatened. What did
2: you do when you were beaten, Aubrey? Well, did you what, did it get into the papers right
3: away? It uh it got into the papers, but in a distorted way. Uh, the papers unfortunately accepted the black Muslim view of what had happened, and as I said, uh, said before, that I was immediately enabled labeled. Uh, as a rival of the black Muslims, although I had left the movement and forgotten all about them, I thought. I Why was were you labeled a, as a rival of the black Muslims? I was labeled as a uh, rival of the black Muslims because the, I think the black Muslims needed a scapegoat. They needed someone to, to point to as an enemy. as all mass movements, do. They have to have an enemy. And a mass movement can exist without a God, but we can't, it can't exist without a devil.
4: What I was getting at, sir, is they tried to identify you with me. Ah, uh, Yes. And any time you were identified, the only time Elijah Muhammad gets favorable publicity is in when it's against me. They side with him, in anything his followers do, as long as it's against
5: me. (laughs) Gordon? A cogent point, I hope, about the press. Uh, I've had a good deal to do with the press, too, and I've written a good many articles for the press. One of the reasons that the press is confused about these things is here you have people running around with phony names and initials like X on their name with unlisted telephone numbers, engaging in all sorts of counter-charges of conspiracy and counter-conspiracies. It's little wonder that the press is confused. The members themselves of these movements are confused. No, no, the, press, Gordon, no, no, the, press, the is press is confused.
3: The press wrote articles about me, though, giving my name, address, age, and everything else, without ever once consulting me and labeling me as a black nationalist, when I've never joined any black nationalist organization or any other organization after I left the black Muslims. No, Children, the press
4: is more frightened of the black nationalists than of the black Muslims. And if you doubt it, all you have to do If you pick up any story written that involves black Muslims and and black nationalists, and you'll always find the press slams it, skillfully, in favor of the black Muslims, despite the fact that the black Muslim movement teaches that every white individual that comes into the world is a devil by nature. By nature. And the black nationalists don't do that. The black nationalists judge people by their uh, behavior, by their deeds, not by their color. But still, the press knows that the black Muslim movement is a hybrid, a hybrid, political and religious hybrid that will never do anything against the Ku Klux Klan or against the organized white elements in this society that are brutalizing black people. But that same black Muslim movement will give the order for black people within it to murder and cripple uh, uh, other black people in the community. The black Muslim movement has never at any time been involved in any kind of strike against the Ku Klux Klan or the Citizens Council even in the South or the North, but they they give the orders to fight each other. When a brother was killed in Los Angeles, no order was given. In fact, the brothers who wanted to go into action were restrained. Many of them right here in New York by little fat Joseph were restrained. But that same Joseph gives his crew orders to go out and cripple other black
2: persons who have left the movement through dissatisfaction over what they've learned. This is yours truly, W.I.N.S., the Group W station, Westinghouse Broadcasting for New York. We're going to get back to the subject in just about a minute and a half. (laughs) It's 36 degrees in New York under cloudy skies. This is Sam Bernard with the wind's 1130 report. Twenty-four persons, most of them youngsters, were arrested today in the second day of rioting in Brooklyn over alleged school segregation. Some 300 Negro teenagers and youths ran wild through downtown Brooklyn battling police, smashing windows, and terrorizing pedestrians. Board of Education President James Donovan warns that leaders of the school boycotts which led to the riots would be arrested along with any children who did not attend classes. Donovan called the boycott leaders Pied Pipers, who were seeking personal publicity. Severe weather is hampering efforts to help more than 100 men at a mine in British Columbia, sealed off by snow and ice. Seventeen men were rescued, but as many as 23 others may still be buried. The body of explorer James Mitchell was buried under tons of rock and dirt that caved in and attempts to bring out the 23-year-old explorer at Dogeville, New York. Mitchell was trapped Saturday, and efforts to save him were futile. In sports. NFL owners meeting in Palm Desert, California, have approved a 40-man player limit and for the first time in history recognize the so-called taxi squad. In the NBA, Boston 119, St. Louis 109, after three quarters, Los Angeles 90, Philadelphia 82. In college basketball, Drake 72, Bradley 57, NYU 78, Georgetown 73, Manhattan 80, Temple 65, and Holy Cross 100, Massachusetts 84. The wind's weatherward, partly cloudy, then becoming fair tomorrow, colder with a high in the upper 30s, Clear and cold tomorrow night, the low 20 to 25. And for Saturday, fair and continued, seasonably cold. The current temperature, 36 degrees. (laughs) And that's the Wind's 1130 report, Stan Bernard reporting. What is a black Muslim besides a Negro? And what is the movement? Is it a bona fide religion or just a terror organization? Tonight on Stan Bernard Contact, we're discussing black nationalism and the black Muslim movement. And my guests tonight, Malcolm X, also in the studio, Aubrey Barnett. A former Black Muslim official from Boston. He's also split with the organization. And my third guest, Gordon Hall, an expert on extremist organizations. I think we ought to go right back to the telephone and uh, see what's doing out there because we haven't taken very many phone calls. Have to apologize. We've really been very uh, wordy in the studio tonight and battling it out in here. This is contact. You're on the
0: air.
6: Hello, master, with Mr. X. Yes. Mr. X. Yes. Oh, it's just so wonderful to hear you. I've be- attended several of your meetings. And if prayer will save you and
3: your family, there will never be any harm to you. Thank you. And I admire you for what you've done for these little black children. You'll be surprised. They are glad to be blacked out. Thank you. So God bless you. Whatever God it may be, any supreme being, protect you and your family.
2: Thank, Thank you. Thank you for your call. All right. This is contact. You're on the air.
6: Yes, I'd like to uh, address a question to Malcolm.
5: I'd like to ask him why, after his suspension then his decision to leave the Muslim movement, then he decided to tell all. Why did he not tell his people about the children, the
6: misappropriation of funds? So what purpose is it going to serve now? And uh, secondly, why does he think someone wants to take his life? What purpose is it going to serve?
4: Uh, this is a very good question. When I, uh, First, the black Muslim, one thing that the black Muslim movement did, positive, uh, here in this country, the militancy that it projected uh, made the black people in this country more militant than they had ever been. The whole civil rights struggle was affected by the general posture uh, reflected or projected by the black Muslim movement. When I first came into the knowledge of the crisis within Elijah Muhammad's family in Chicago and what it would mean to the black Muslim movement if it were out, I chose myself to remain silent because I'm not to save Elijah Muhammad, but I felt I was uh, afraid of the psychological harm it would do his followers, plus the effect it would have on the struggle uh, that black people are waging in this country, period. When I first left the movement, I left and took the full blame. I even made uh, it appear that I was leaving. I never left the black Muslim movement. I was put out. And because the law in the movement is that when a person is put out, they must first be brought before the membership and given a hearing. Elijah Muhammad was afraid to bring me before the membership and give me a hearing for fear of what I might say in my own defense. So, it, so I was put in limbo, so to speak, suspended, and the uh, Muslims in the temple here in New York were told that I would be back in 90 days. But at the same time they were being told that I would be back in 90 days, brothers were sent out by Joseph to take my life. And those brothers are with me now. The police know about it. This is a fact. And uh, uh, it was only after, it, and it was only after I was out of the movement, and then Elijah Muhammad began to use the every pulpit in every temple in the nation to blaspheme against me. Plus, Muhammad Speaks newspaper to poison the minds of his followers into thinking that I had actually committed some kind of treacherous deed against him. That I felt it necessary for me to tell his followers the real reason for which I came out of the movement, and I've been doing that ever since, Gordon. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, You're a professional observer of of, of extremist organizations, and you classify the black nationalists and, of course, the Muslims as extremist organizations. How do you uh, appraise uh, this this political warfare that's going on in the black nationalist organization?
5: Well, to be perfectly frank with you, and I do believe in speaking frankly, I think at the moment... uh the Muslims are a dying uh, organization. They're on the way out. Uh, they've made no impact in the in the Negro community nationally at any point, and even less so now. Malcolm has no place to go, which is why he's floundering so badly. For example, he's been breaking bread with the Communists downtown. What com- wait a minute. What Communists have I been Socialist breaking?
4: Workers Party. You are absolutely out of your mind. You've, I have never broken bread You have given any... several
5: speeches which they well, have not reprinted.
4: I sp- I speak anywhere. I spoke in London, uh, England. Well, you were very, very, very proud to week. go back
5: several times, and they're reprinting one of your major addresses a spoke in a militant. church. I spoke what? in a church in, when, no, when in Rochester about, a couple of nights I'm ago. We're not talking about churches. We're not talking about churches. We're talking about the Socialist Workers' Party, The Party, you,
4: just because you speak somewhere doesn't make you that. You speak to the public, and you speak on any platform. Oh, I don't, know. And, and I speak to the public, and I speak on any platform. I'm afraid, now, I'm if, afraid that's not if, the case, If no, speaking though. on the socialist platform makes me a socialist, then when I speak in a Methodist... There's a communist a platform. I was in Selma, Alabama uh, last week speaking in Martin Luther King's church. Does that make me a follower of Martin Luther King? You no,
5: your, your line of reasoning, sir, doesn't no, fit me. Well, I was just saying that I was asked a question by Stan, and I think that I at, at the moment the nationalist movement has no place to go. They're floundering and they're putting out lines everywhere, and there is an alliance in the general Harlem area between some of the Peking-based communists, the progressive labor movement, and some of the others, the Bill Epton crowd. Bill Epton is a self confessed avowed communist. You'd agree to that, wouldn't you, Malcolm? I know nothing
4: about what Bill Epton's uh, political philosophy is. Bill Epton, in my opinion, is one of the militant leaders in Harlem. Now, what his political beliefs are, I think that he has a right to them. I didn't say he didn't have any. Right, I'm he's just
5: saying what he is. Well, uh, and he has stated to me whatever person. they are. When I've interviewed him. He told me he's an avowed communist. So whatever they are, he has he a like right to. It. He'd like to see the system of ours completely junked as well. All I'm saying is that there's a lot well, of. I think you'll
4: find that a lot of the children that are out, out there may in I Brooklyn, may I speak? May I speak?
5: Are, are, may I speak? Are, are, uh,
4: on the rampage against the segregated school system here in New York City, may I speak? And
5: King and some of his followers in Alabama right now You're are fighting against clock the same. system. But you don't let other people speak, man. Well, say your words. I'm trying to. You would be kind enough to let me speak. Go ahead, yes. Go ahead. Mr. Dr. Hall.
3: Well, in any rate, uh,
5: they, they're floundering now, and there's a lot of internecine warfare going on in the Harlem section, and most of the movements are small and splintered, and there are splinters of splinters, and I suppose only the future will tell uh, which one will emerge victorious and perhaps claim the most members. I would make a prediction, and I think we could come back a year from now, Stan, and, and I think you may find Malcolm preaching a completely separate doctrine of... Uh, leading some other kind of a movement
4: well you know one of the best compliments that um dr hall here can pay me is just what just the things that he says when he begins to pat me on the back i'll be worried i'm not patting you on the back when a person i told you up in boston i that said when you give a little, begin little time
5: and you'll be preaching a new line I and you said, are begin,
4: when you begin to pat me on the back i'll be worried when you begin people of your profession who make a profession out of dealing with uh groups in this country Ah, uh, when you begin to pat me on the back, then I'll be worried, sir. Well, now, yeah, I would advise I know, you, though. if you think that nationalism has no influence whatsoever, the Nationalists, the Organization of Afro-American Unity, are having a rally at the Audubon Ballroom on no, Broadway. Man, you
5: mentioned it earlier, you're getting in a couple I'm of... I'm going, going to mention blocks. it again, <laughs> that uh, I wouldn't
4: come on the program and not mention it, because uh, uh, one of the most difficult things for nationalists to do is to let the public know what they're doing. So we're having this rally at the Audubon. I the
5: public is engaged in a vast conspiracy against you. You're going to make so me so mention it four or five times. We're having, this rally, <laughs> we're, having this, we're
4: having this rally at the Audubon Ballroom this coming Sunday at 2 o'clock, and people just like you who consider themselves experts on nationalists are given front seat invitations and i would advise you since it's your profession to know what nationalists and other so-called extremists are doing to come and be our guests. now one thing i'd like to point out to dr hall whenever you find black perfectly well i'm not a doctor malcolm well you sound like an expert on something i thought you were a doctor uh uh you uh, whenever you find uh the condition that black people are confronted by in this country being permitted by the government to exist so long the condition in itself is extreme and any black man who really feels about uh this situation that our people are confronted by his feelings are extreme you can't take a, a cough syrup and cure somebody who has pneumonia and the black people are becoming more extreme every day i was in little i was in uh alabama uh, a couple of weeks ago before i went to england uh down there with dr king and some of the others who are trying to uh just register and vote now i'll tell you frankly uh with King is supposed to be the most moderate, most conservative, most loving, most endorsed, most supported.
5: Now the word is responsible, but go ahead.
4: Okay. Responsible to the white power structure. To me, when white people talk about responsible... It's a responsible American. That's when, what he when, is. when 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 people like you usually refer to Negroes as responsible, you mean Negroes who are responsible in the context of your type of thinking. So getting right back to Dr. King, any time you find a person who goes along with the government to the degree that Dr. King does, and still, Dr. King's followers, children, are made to run down the road by brute policemen uh, who are nothing but Klansmen, and the federal government can step in and do nothing about it. I will guarantee you that you are producing extremists by the thousands. Now, when I was down there, they would permit, they wanted me to speak to the press, but didn't want me to speak to the church, or the children, or the students. for me you, it was Malcolm. the students themselves that insisted that I speak that gave me the opportunity Malcolm, to speak.
2: how do you think that's going to be changed? Well, uh, I, I, I do, how? I mean, no, I, I know you're talking about these children being made well, into extremists, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah, how, how is that situation going to be changed? Do you think it's by warfare? Not,
4: it's not going to be uh, changed by uh, making believe that it doesn't exist to the intense degree that it exists, and it's not going to be changed by, by putting out polls like Newsweek magazine did la- uh, last week, implying that Negroes are satisfied with the rate of progress. This is deluding yourself. And my contention is that white people do themselves a disservice by putting out these kind of things to make it appear that Negroes are satisfied when the most explosive situation racially that has ever existed in this country exists right now. And all of your so-called responsible leaders, when they speak about the situation, they say everything is in check. Yet every day you find uh, Negro children becoming more explosive yeah, than they've ever been
2: before. You're not answering my question. Uh, you're avoiding it. Uh, I asked you, how is it going to change? Is it going to change uh, through uh extreme behavior extreme let's call it extreme reaction uh in other words you are going to react extremely to a situation that you don't like now how extreme can your reaction be well sir when russia put
4: missiles in cuba Mm -hmm. the only thing that made russia get her missiles out of cuba was when america pointed missiles right back at russia are you suggesting revolution i'm no i'm saying this that when you respect the intelligence of black people in this country as being equal to that of white then you will realize that the reaction of the black man to oppression will be the same as the reaction of the white man to oppression. The white man will not turn the other cheek when he's being oppressed. He will not practice any kind of love of a clan or a citizen council or anyone else. But at the same time, the white man is asking the black man to do this. So all I'm saying is, I absolutely believe the situation can be changed. But I don't think it can be changed by white people taking a, a hypocritical approach pretending that it is not as bad as it is, and by black leaders, so-called responsible leaders, taking a hypocritical approach, trying to make white people think that black people are patient and long-suffering and are willing to sit around here a long time, or a great deal of time longer until the problem
2: is, 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 is made better. Let's go back to the phone. The Wins contact number, idea. Judson two six four zero five. This is contact. You're on the air.
3: Hello, Malcolm.
2: Yes. Yeah? The cold clock's calling get you. Thank you very much. Let me me let me point
4: something out to this lady. I'm invited to Mississippi next week. I'll be going to Mississippi next week. The Ku Klux Klan will have all the opportunity it wants to get me. I was in Alabama last week. They had an opportunity then. You don't always have to go down south to find the Ku Klux Klan. Evidently, one is your father, or you wouldn't be able to speak as you do.
2: This is contact. You're on the air. Yes,
0: I'd like to ask Mr. Barnett a question. In Louis Lomax's book, When the Word is Given, he says, None of the rumors about Muslims receiving help from outside. Communist desegregation of sources has proved true. Does Mr. Barnett have any information that will verify or refute that statement?
2: I didn't quite get it, but Mr. Barnett has left the room. He's left the studio during this last part of the debate, and he's not here to answer it. Mr. Hall answers. Can Mr. Hall answer it? I didn't quite understand your question. Can you quote that again for us?
0: Uh, Yes. Louis Lomax says that none of the rumors about Muslims receiving help from outside, communist or segregationist sources, have proved true. And I'd like to know what they think about this.
5: I would agree with uh, Mr. Lomax's statement on that. I think that's an actual statement. I'm not so sure that that, that is applicable to other uh, militant groups in the Negro community, but I think it's applicable to the Muslims.
2: I'm not sure. Yeah,
5: they don't get any help from outside sources. She's talking about outside communist or yes. segregationist sources. Yeah.
4: Do they get any help from inside segregationist sources?
5: I would now doubt you're the expert. I would doubt that very much. I have no evidence of it, and neither do you. And if you do, well, then I'm not put what I up, do. Malcolm. But you're, right. in, you're implying you're a very no, fly I imply. You,
4: you essentially because you give me the impression all of a sudden that you're a protector of the black Muslim movement. Not a bit, when, not, a bit. When, not a bit. When it comes to rallying ra- rallying them against the black nationalists, because you know that the black Muslim movement is in a bag and
5: has no well, place to go. I'm the one. Go. I'm the one. Just to show you how no, faulty no, your logic no, no, is, no, let no, me sir. speak. Just to show well, you how faulty your logic is, I arranged for the Saturday Evening Post story, which you have praised with your own mouth, and as the best thing ever written on the not Black because you arranged I
2: arranged
4: the
5: best, Not because you arranged
4: it. I arranged that it. Not because you arranged it. I arranged it. That doesn't make it best. If there, it, it's best because but if I a, it, wrote it. Mr. Hall it.
2: is saying that he arranged for it to be written because it, he thought it was valid and what valuable. he
4: uh, arranged, uh, what he did is immaterial to me. I'm not yes, commenting you not. on... You, you, you never want to louse up an argument with sir, facts, Malcolm. I'm not commenting on what you did. It's immaterial to me.
5: But you said it was a wonderful I'm piece. I'm saying that
4: what Aubrey did... Aubrey is the one who did the piece. You can yes, arrange for Rockwell Ar- to write a piece. Aubrey came to me... You can arrange for Rockwell Because he knew to write that, that I could piece. get the story told in the best fashion. You can arrange for Rockwell. You can arrange for the Klan to write a piece. No, I could not. that—that so that does not. What you can arrange doesn't impress me. Malcolm, you know perfectly well that I could, not. that's what, just yes, a smear. You, you could, sir. Oh.
2: <laughs> You're <laughs> a mercenary. the technique? No you're professional. You said that yourself. That's why I called calling. Can we go on to our next call? No. Let me him when he
5: talks this way because he exposes himself. No, happy. I'm exposing
2: you as a mercenary. Here we go, sir. An fellas. opportunist. It's the next call time. Here we go. This is contact. You're on the air.
6: Uh, I'd like to direct the question to Malcolm X. Go ahead. Uh, I've heard him on a newsreel say that Charlie's enemies are his enemies, and uh, this was supposed to refer to the white man as Charlie.
4: Charlie is the Ku Klux Klan and the White Citizens Council. Right. And and white people who practice discrimination and segregation against black people.
6: Right. But I'd like to ask you um, something about what you mentioned about aid from Red China.
4: I've never mentioned anything about aid from Red China. All right. Ask Dr. Hall. He's an expert. Oh. I think he'll even have to agree to that.
6: Who's man? Ask you if um, if the aid to fight Charlie came from the Red Chinese? Would you accept it? And you said from anybody.
4: Well, that doesn't specify Red China. When you were, I said this, that when you're in the uh, den of a wolf, and a fox comes along and asks you for help or offers to help you, you'll accept help from any source available against that wolf. Right. Yeah, but uh, they asked this you doesn't mean <coughs> that you love foxes. Did they specify? It doesn't mean that you love foxes. Did they specify when they asked you the question whether it was whether I don't would think would they said you. the Chinese Communist China. They did. If, if I recall, and I could be wrong, but, I, but if I recall, I don't think they said uh, specified communist China, but although, although let me say this about communist China. China is a nation of 700 million people. Physically they exist. Physically they exist. I don't go along with the American, uh, uh, reaction of pretending that 700 million Chinese don't exist. When I was in Africa during the summer, everywhere I looked I saw Chinese. It's only when I get back to America that that I don't see any Chinese. I just don't think it's mature. To pretend that 700 million people don't exist.
5: That doesn't happen to be U.S. policy to pretend that they don't exist. Now, can you just say things aren't like, so, No, well, I mean... The United States is well aware of Red China.
4: She certainly is. She, they just detonated some nuclear bombs yeah, over the, there. The, the, Plus, her forces have the United States soldiers tied down in, uh, in Saigon. She'd have to be well aware. She has half of your forces tied up. Well. well, you'd be crazy not to be aware of her existence. North but Vietnam, at the same time, the you're trying to give the the public impression over here, the people, the, uh, the impression over here that they don't exist. You're just saying that. That's not the, the case at all. They're human beings, the same as you and I
2: are. So you, you of course, espouse recognition of the Red China and admission to the United
1: mm,
4: Nations. Many of your senators in Washington, D.C. espouse the same thing. I think most intelligent, progressive uh, people who are up to date in their thinking have uh, finally reached uh, intellectual and political maturity to the point where they feel that when you've got a, that many people on this earth, you better recognize them and deal with them as human beings, and then they will deal with you as human beings. If you say that you shouldn't deal with them because they are communists, then you, why deal with Russia? Or if you say that they shouldn't, you shouldn't deal with them because they fought United Nations forces in Korea, then why deal with Shambi? Shambi also fought United Nations uh, forces in, in, in Katanga. If you, if you use the same yardstick to measure these people all of the time, I think you'll end up with better results.
2: All right, let's go on to our next call. Our Wiz contact number, Judson 26405. This is Stan Art Contact, you're on the air. Hello. Yes.
8: Malcolm, I'd like to ask you whether you feel that uh,
4: the uh, uh, recent action of the Gaulish government in refusing you entry into
6: France is in any way inconsistent with France's general policy towards uh, the Afro-Asian community and Africa in particular.
4: Yes, I uh, dispatched a wire to Dean Rusk, the Secretary of State here today, uh, demanding an investigation into the reason why the French government uh, could ban an American citizen and no... uh, uh reaction come from the american embassy whatsoever but i might point out i was in paris last uh november and was successful in organizing uh, a good organization which another one that uh, dr hall over here can investigate in his capacity uh in the american negro community in paris and they have been working in conjunction with the african community and it was the african community and the afro-american community in paris that invited me there to address a mass rally, and the French government permitted my entry into that country, and I might point out that it was the communist trade union workers in Paris that r- refused to let them have the hall initially, blocked their attempt to get the second hall, and eventually exercised influence in the French government to stop it. But the communist trade u- unions wor- union workers, one of the largest unions in that country, and, uh, and the reason I was in London, I had been invited there to attend the first con- congress, that had been given by the Council of African Organizations, who, were in, who, invi- who had a four-day Congress invited me to make the closing address because they were interested in the struggle of the black man in this country and his quest for human dignity and human rights."
2: Okay, we're going to move on to our next call. This is contact. You're on the air.
0: Hello? Yes. Uh, may I speak to Malcolm X, please?
2: Yes, go right ahead. Uh,
0: I would like to... Uh, I don't have a question from Malcolm X. I would like to tell him that I am 100% with him. Uh, for whatever he goes along with, uh, to helping the Negroes.
6: And uh, I think it's an awful thing that uh, anyone should uh, bomb or throw a bomb into a, a house uh, where there is human beings, particularly children. And uh, I don't go along at all with
0: the uh, Muslim, um, so-called Muslims at all, because to me they're only teaching hate.
4: Well, I confess that I was one of the leaders in, in projecting the Muslim movement and, and uh, causing so many people to believe in the, in the distorted version of Islam that is taught there, but at the same time I have to point out that there are some progressive elements, right-meaning persons, in the black Muslim movement. Uh, all of them do, are, are not wrong. There are many in there who mean well, but are just being misled by the hierarchy, many of which do not mean well. But there are, is a, a large progressive element within the movement And usually they're the ones who come in, they stay a year, and and they get disillusioned, and they go back out. But I was responsible for giving the people the impression that the black Muslim movement was more than what it is, and I take that responsibility. You can put the complete blame upon me. But at the same time that I take that responsibility, I want to point out that no white man or white group or agency can use me against Elijah Muhammad or against the black Muslim movement. When you hear me open up my mouth against another black man, cannot, no white man can put words in my mouth, nor no white man can sick me on another black group. When I have analyzed the man and the group with my own understanding and feel that it is detrimental to the interests of the black community, then I'm going to attack it uh, with that same intensity.
5: Gordon, you were going to well, say Well, again, so as you know, it's more words, and uh, he began by saying that... Uh, he has to confess that he was responsible for misleading so many people on the muslim count there were never very many muslims let's always come back to the fact that not very many people were ever misled the white press was misled uh, into believing there were no, a Hall, lot of Muslims. Hall, there were never more than fifteen thousand Muslims Dr. in America, Hall. and there, were, there are only now six thousand, and we have twenty two million Negroes in the United States. Keep Dr. these facts Dr. Hall, uppermost in one standard. Well, you, you know, said it. you, you know,
2: admitted this at the
9: very beginning, Malcolm. Well, well, you said yes, the fifteen thousand figure no, is here
4: correct. These fact. are the facts, you that, now, Here's so. another fact you have to keep in mind. There never were many Mau Mau. There never were. There were always more Kikuyu more Kenyans than Mau Mau.
5: What is this supposed to prove?
4: But it was the Mau Mau who brought independence to Kenya. Yes, but and the man who was uh, regarded as an extremist and a monster just five years ago, Jomo Kenyatta,
0: mm-hmm. is
4: the president of, of uh, the Republic of Kenya today, and it is this same man who five the years ago... The situation in please, colonial so Africa is not like it is in the United well, States. Well, this is colonial. Any time you have a system in 1965 that will take Children and let them be marched down the road by not yeah, uh, criminal in elements. Numbers, in numbers, but,
2: you have to you have to draw one big analogy. In the United States, the Negro is still the minority. In the United States. And, and when you're talking about minorities within minorities within minorities, well, you start boiling uh, it all down. Uh, you say, can't really draw that analogy of a I colony. Say this,
4: I say this, that the Mao Mao was, uh, was also a minority, a microscopic minority, but it was the Mao Mao who not only brought independence to Kenya, it was but in it, a vast it, Negro majority. But it brought, brought but it still, that, that uh, wick, the powder keg is always larger than the wick. The smallest thing in the powder keg is the wick. You can touch the powder all day long and nothing happens. It's the wick that you touch that sets the powder her. off. I think it'll
8: blow up. It's the <laughs> wick
4: that you touch that sets the powder off. And Good. if you go here in Harlem and you take all these moderate uh, Negroes that uh, Dr. Hall here puts the stamp of approval on and regards them as responsible, they don't explode. It's the wick. It's that small element that you refer to as nationalists and other... You're doing uh,
5: all you can to encourage it, now, Not encourage
4: Whether you're in Florida. or no, in I I, No, no, I, yes don't, I, do. I'm
5: not, I don't encourage
4: it, but I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it doesn't exist. How don't you, you, how don't you incite,
2: Malcolm, don't you incite? I don't think incite.
4: so. I don't, how are you going to incite people who are living in slums and ghettos? It's the city structure that incites. A city that continues to let people live in rat nest bins in Harlem and pay higher rent in Harlem than they pay downtown. This is what incites it. Uh, who lets merchants outcharge or overcharge people for for their groceries and their clothing and other commodities in Harlem while you pay lesser for it downtown. This is what incites it. A, a city that will not create some kind of employment for people who are barred from having jobs just because their skin is black. That's what incites it. Don't ever uh, accuse a black man for voicing his resentment and dissatisfaction over the criminal condition of his people as being responsible for inciting a situation, you have to indict the society that allows these things to exist. And this is where I differ with Dr. Hall. Well, the well we States, differ in many places now. This is a, one of the many places,
2: Dr. Hall, where we differ. Well, in a sense, didn't Hitler also talk about different points of view? Didn't he say that conditions existed? And didn't he also incite people? Well, I, I don't know anything about Hitler. Yes. I, I wasn't in Germany.
0: I'm, I'm in America. The, don't,
7: don't, don't please.
4: I ignorant. say, I now, wasn't collect- in, I say, I don't know anything about <laughs> Hitler. I wasn't in Germany, but I have. You had. know about Hitler Well, though. you can't point to Hitler and Germany behind what's going on here in America. Turn on the television tonight and see what they're doing. Do, no, no, no. no, no. Turn on the television tonight and see what they're doing with Dr. King. Mm-hmm. Turn on nothing. Dr.
5: King's methods are not yours. Dr. King, goes you, could, you couldn't do in Alabama that what he is doing. Sir, you could not do in Sir, you better got to pray that I don't go
4: and try and do what he's doing.
5: Any time Dr.
4: King goes along with people like you, like you, mm-hmm. you should put forth more effort to keep him out of jail. You should put forth more effort to protect him. Then you should put forth more effort to protect the people who go along with him and display this love and this patience. If you would do more for those people and spend some of your time trying to help those people instead of trying to attack me, probably this country would be a much better place in which to live. You spend too much of your time, Doctor, I really, trying to investigate... I rarely ever mention you, Malcolm. You you're spend, hardly worth mentioning. You spend too much of your time, Doctor, uh, running around trying to uh, keep track of dissatisfied black people whom you label as extremists. Hardly. Whereas hard. if you would spend some of your time in, the, in these places where Dr. King is fighting, then you would make this country a better place to live in.
5: Malcolm, I lectured all over the state of Alabama mm-hmm. when you had nothing to do with the Muslims. Did, did you
0: have on a white sheet? I did
2: you have on a white sheet? Gentlemen, time. Bell. Here we go. Bell. Okay, that's round 15. We just had it. Dr. Hall, uh, come up to the Audubon Sunday at 2 o'clock. And we'll continue with the there. I have
5: important things to do.
2: we have to move on. The time has run out. I'd like to thank all of you for showing up tonight. Thank you very much, Gordon. Malcolm and, of course, Aubrey Barnett.
1: That was uh, a panel discussion uh, over New York City uh, radio station WINS on February 18th of 1965, uh, just three days before the martyrdom of uh, Malcolm X, el Haj Malik Shabazz. And uh, this is African American History Month uh, 2024, and we're paying tribute to uh, Malcolm X. And um, this is the Pan-African Journal, special worldwide radio broadcast for February 25th, uh, 2024, and we're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. We'll take a break. We'll be back with our concluding segments. Welcome back, and uh, that was uh, the legendary uh, Al Green uh, with the track entitled, Are You Lonely For Me, Baby? And uh, of course, um, we're here on Sunday, February 25th, uh, 2024. We're broadcasting from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, This is the Pan-African Journal, special uh, worldwide radio broadcast. And uh, right now we want to move into an interview, um, another panel discussion that took place uh, several months earlier than the previous one we listened to. This one uh, is addressing uh, the Congo crisis uh, some nearly 60 years ago in 1964 uh, when uh, the United States uh, was involved in suppressing the revolutionary forces uh, in Congo. And, of course, uh, Patrice Lumumba had already been assassinated uh, in 1961, yet uh, his followers fought for uh, several more years against the imperialist-imposed neocolonial regime uh, in that country. Let's listen uh, to uh, the audio file of this uh, panel discussion uh, featuring Malcolm X discussing the situation in Congo in 1964.
10: Yes, I think too much time is spent by uh, newspapers, commentators, and some of these uh, so-called scientists who are supposed to be authorities trying to prove that the the Congolese are savage, that they're not fully developed, that they're not able to govern themselves. Uh, Most of the things that we see in print usually are designed toward that end. And this is not done actually to, uh, to prove that they are savage in as much as it is done to justify what the Western powers are doing in the Congo, or the presence of the Western powers in the Congo, and the presence primarily of the United States. The basic cause of most of the trouble that's in the Congo right now is the intervention of outsiders, the, the fighting that's going on over the, over the uh, mineral wealth of the Congo and over the strategic position that the Congo represents on the African continent. And in order to justify it, they are doing it at the expense of the Congolese by trying to make it appear that the people are savages. And I think, as one of the gentlemen mentioned earlier, if there are savages, savages in the Congo, then there are worse savages in Mississippi, Alabama, and New York City, and probably some in Washington, D.C., too. Gentlemen, uh, I think it time has come for an exchange rather
11: than uh, uh, than uh, individual statements. Uh,
12: anybody want to start? Uh, Dr. Griffith. Seems to me that there is a a confusion of degree here that is unfortunate. In the first place, uh, Malcolm X's statement, his figures on the the, the Belgian the Belgian history of the Congo uh, is grossly distorted. Um, <clears throat> I would point out that there were two phases of Belgian occupation of the Congo. The first was the period of King Leopold's rule, which ran from the middle 80s till about 1912. And uh, a second period since then where the Belgian government took over from King Leopold and actually made a serious attempt with considerable success of introducing a type of colonial government which had many which had many qualities to be uh, to be admired rather than deplored the figures of the figures of casualties in the Congo the killings purported killings by the belgians uh, I would say two things. In the first place, the, 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 colonial, the pre-colonial era, the slave, the slave centuries, uh, exacted a terrific toll in the Congo, and the casualties were tremendous. That is a crime which not only the Europeans and Americans, but also the Africans themselves must share responsibility for. The period after the Belgian government took over the Congo From uh, 1908, 1912 on, was a period of high administrative development, of uh, performance by a a vast number of conscientious and efficient Belgian public servants. The criticism that can be made of the Belgian regime in the Congo after that, uh, uh, from the from the 1912 period on is a criticism of lack of understanding on the part of the Belgians that they, that the Congolese people should be expected to participate and should reasonably look toward independence at not some highly remote period, but a period within reasonable range, and that the Belgian government did not, during that intervening period, did not did not educate, did not give the, the Congolese an opportunity to develop the talents and they have just as much natural talent as any other people to develop the talents which would have permitted them to operate successfully this vast, con- this vast country. Now that is a... <coughs> uh, that is a... Uh, an aspect of the, of the situation which should not be overlooked. <coughs> and I would point out that the The Belgian administration of the Congo still, in many respects gave gives an example of fine administration which uh, the Congolese themselves and other peoples can also benefit from.
10: We just one please just one little short. yeah, Dr. Griffin, you say I uh, exaggerated the number of deaths you, you mentioned you said the, I said the he op- reduced it from thirty million to fifteen million. How many million did he? This was not, look. If I say that there were 15 million casualties, and I'm exaggerating it, tell me how many million there were. In That's the first
12: place, may I say this?
10: Sir, please please tell me place. how many million casualties there were.
12: Well, are you going to give me a chance to answer you? In the first place, we have no statistics. We use round figures. We don't even know so within... Give me some round figures. Pardon me. We don't, we don't even know the number of slaves that were taken out of Africa over the whole period Give me a number the number varies between 10 and 20 million Do
10: You mean, uh, over uh, that a
12: period of a, over a period of a couple of hundred years uh, 10 as far as the Congo is concerned let me say this King Leopold
10: give me an estimate of how many million casualties there were under Leopold
12: under Leopold I can no one has a figure Just I, give would, me an I document, would say sir. I would say that probably through the concessionaires who exploited the natives and who drove them into collecting rubber there may there were undoubtedly many thousand casualties but certainly not a hundred thousand and certainly not 50, i didn't say i said that the
10: mark twain book
12: pointed well, out mark twain is not a historian that, that, mark,
10: that some of these now that you see calling themselves historians aren't historians well, Mar- uh, Mark Twain points out that the population was reduced from 30 million to 15 million uh, by this Le- man Leopold.
12: Now you say well, that is entirely- you say That's that entirely- I'm exaggerating. How many million was it? There was no million. <laughs> Look, Leopold's Leopold's rubber gatherers exterminated a lot of natives who didn't bring in their quotas of rubber. How did he exterminate? It Me, it was a shocking thing to have happened. But it does not represent anything like the mass um, m- murder that you're describing.
11: Well, I think, I think we're going to get or, lost in past or, history yeah. rather than the present events, which are or. occupying the front pages of the headlines. And I would agree that we have to know something of a background in order to address ourselves to the present. But I'm afraid that the entire program might be devoted to King Leopold instead of the present-day Congo. But I Some, some,
10: some uh, One of the gentlemen said earlier that, uh, I think it was Dr. Robinson, I believe, that he, he saw a, a, a seething, what was that? Uh, some very strong feelings that were hostile uh, down beneath the surface in these people. And I think the only way a person can be justified in condemning the Congolese the way that the press is in uh, in the process of condemning them right now, they would have to go back in history to find out what it is that made these people act as they do toward these Europeans.
11: Malcolm, I don't hear anybody asking this question, so I must. I'm curious. I can understand the normal reaction and rage at oppressors when the oppressed. Get an opportunity to act equally or with superior force. I don't understand, though, how that rage can be effectively shown against nuns, missionaries, etc. That's in the that's in the
10: news. Well, no, it's certainly it's in the news. But I think it was just as much in the news when the uh, people who were doing the oppressing were cutting off the breath. Of, of black women when they didn't produce their rubber rubber quota cutting off their hands cutting off their feet this is historic fact and when you start talking about what uh, the Congolese are doing in retaliation today they have pictures that are historic fact this leopold made it a uh, uh, made it mandatory that when a person didn't when a black man didn't produce a certain quota of rubber his hand was cut off his foot was cut off a black woman's breast was cut off, this is what took place in the Congo. And it took place for a long time. It's easy to gloss all of that over today and make it look like the Belgians went in there with some kind of benevolent intent. But the Congolese are just as humane, just as human, and just as intelligent as anybody else on this planet. And when they reflect this animosity and hostility, I think anyone who goes over there and examines the facts will find out they're justified. In fact, I think that they showed remarkable restraint in the fact that the uh, paratroopers were
12: able to rescue somebody. Might I add a, really a footnote to this historical item by simply saying so Dr. that we Sewell. can move on from here, Barry, as you say, in the sense that what Malcolm has said is extremely true and that, after all, if Americans really want to know, all they have to do is remember that it was really the reports of Henry M. Stanley who went over there for the Herald Tribune and wrote back about these atrocities, which so, I mean, brought horror to the Western world that they really forced King Leopold, really, to give up the Congo, which was his private property. Now, we to tie this in with the other element, which, of course, is the one of racialism, which is very strong here, and this is one reason why you're getting the reaction that you are today, I would go back again to the, the type of program which once the colonial government took over in Belgium, which really, Dr. Griffin was in 1910, but the, the year is not important that you said 1912, is that after they took that government over, they instituted what was known as a philosophy of paternalism. Now, I think that being Americans, it is very easy for us to understand largely what kind of feeling this derives, because you know this was the standard attitude on the part of white Americans, and particularly in the South, where they ran a paternalistic type of government and a paternalistic type of relationship with Negroes in the South. So it should be used for to emphasize the deep-seated resentment largely, which was built up where you largely are oppressed and cannot really, uh, and particularly in the Congo, which was really their own country, but they were not allowed to do anything about it or at least exercise any influence. The other aspect, I think, of the paternalistic framework that you have to remember is that although Belgium really attempted to give a picture to the outside world, that it was a really a harmonious, democratic sort of structure, this was not true by any means that for, as even Dr. Griffin pointed out, that no African was really allowed really to rise to a position of some substance, to participate really in the rule of the Congo. And although it's true that the Belgian colonial government did not have any political parties at all or allow any political operation, even on the part of the Europeans there, nevertheless this kind of paternalism really created a very bad situation which Africans were not really in a position of time to do anything about. And this is one reason why there was such a big blow up when they did get their independence in 1960. The other thing I would really like to point out for all of them to react to also, I think that we really need to bring into focus here two other important postures. One, of course, is the Belgian posture in terms of its operations in the Congo not only colonial-wise, but even since then, they've been playing, I would say, a rather subversive type of operation they've been carrying on there, since, even since independence, in order to maintain their control and vested interests. Because I think they probably looked across the waters a little bit, or really right next door, and they saw what happened to a tiny European country, meaning the Netherlands. Once it lost Indonesia, it became a really nothing on the international scene. And Belgium realizes that without the Congo, Belgium is nothing but a little nation of bourgeois people sitting up there, I mean, who will probably have to live on the bounty of support from the United States and other Western countries. So she has manipulated and maneuvered consistently since she she granted independence to the Congolese. And this, of course, has created difficulty. Now, of course, the United States got involved in this in various ways. And I think that we really need to assess the American posture if we're really going to try to understand what is going on there today. And I, before I go on to this, I think, like you indicated, it would be better if some others reacted to it before I go into greater detail. Dr. Dr. Robinson, I, do
7: that, uh, I want to bring two factors here. Any use of figures in Africa is absolutely misleading. Nobody knows how many people in Africa now. Nigeria has got the most advanced census taking, And they had to go back and do it three times because they weren't satisfied with what they got. Even in these days, I would uh, seriously question these figures of 30 million people being in the Congo. The Liberians used to say that they had 2.5 million people. But when they took aerial surveys, this was reduced down to about 800,000 people. There's a very small population in Africa. There are many reasons for it today, the colonial rule in that situation, but there were even bigger problems than those that cut down the population of Africa. if One wants to look at it completely objectively, the, the lack of a sound diet, for example, that so much of Africa is a place almost uninhabitable for people to live and make a living, uh, make a good living, even if there were no colonial people standing in the way. So that any use of figures in the past is terribly misleading because there were no senses of any kind. These were all absolute guesses. Now, however, Malcolm, I don't care if it was 3 million people or 30 million people, if it's one person who is killed, he's got a right to live. And uh, it's, it's, I cannot, it's not justifiable, it seems to me, that because I have been hurt that I have to go out and kill somebody else.
10: I don't think you'll find that I'm... Well, sure let me finish now. You've of, talked a long time now, so do you let me finish, Malcolm? Yes, I would like to point out to my good friend, Dr. Robinson, that uh, since, since figures are so difficult to get in Africa, as he says, uh, then I don't see how if someone would get so excited... Uh, when a a figure is mentioned that favors the African cause if they're not going to get just as excited when figures are mentioned that uh, that don't favor the African cause. And I wasn't mentioning anything to justify the killing or the death of people. Uh, Death bothers me as much as it bothers anybody else. But my contention is that I get the impression that people here in the United States, some Negroes as well as most whites, all get more excited over white people who are dying than they have ever shown uh, over black people who are dying. And all I say is that if, if dying is wrong, if uh, atrocities are wrong, if killing is wrong, then I think people should be just as concerned over the death of the Congolese as over the whites, and as long as it doesn't appear that way to me, then that's when I holler. But I don't want anybody to get the impression that I'm trying to say that uh, death of these people who are there is right, but if it's wrong, then the death of the Congolese is also wrong. Just
12: I wonder if I might Dr. pick up with this and bring it into, let us say, contemporary focus since on your news reports you have been talking consistently and giving reports on what's happening in the Congo. And we might not discuss now something in terms of the things that are dominating the headlines such as mercenaries and missionaries and rebels and hostages. In saying this, I think that it would be good if we really sort of tried to explore the position and role of mercenaries in the Congo and how they really exacerbate the situation there secondly i think that there ought to be some clarification in terms of the position of missionaries since some of these people that are being at least killed uh, by the rebels happen to be missionaries and so that the listening public might understand why sometimes this kind of reaction comes out against these types of individuals and i know dr robson particularly is Uh, Looked into this even as back as far back as ten years ago when he was there and In his modesty he failed to tell you that he really did do a series of three or four articles Dealing with the whole situation. I think it is Unfortunate that we don't call things by their names and where there is savagery. We don't say that it's savagery and when there has been senseless killing of the kind of the killing that's taken place in the Eastern Congo where missionaries and doctors and Europeans who, on the whole, were doing something of help to the Congolese people that we just don't condemn it and call it what it is. And I don't feel that it helps clarity in thinking to equate it with what happened in Mississippi. I think lynchings by the scum that have been carried on in Mississippi over nearly a century should be deplored. But I don't think that it serves any purpose to equate it with the kind of butchery that's been going on in the Congo in this last period. And I feel that we are entirely justified. We, speaking as the U.S., were entirely justified in, in having this emergency operation to clean out the rebel forces that were already exterminating a lot of missionaries and a lot of people. It isn't as though this happened after the paratroopers were actually on the move they were exterminating before that happened you didn't send any emergency porters to mississippi i think the only misfortune is that we didn't send in the paratroopers about a month earlier and spare several hundred casualties that previously taken place why not on one point i agree with uh, pardon me will you let me finish please on one point i agree with malcolm x i think it's i think it's tragic and deplorable that Congolese have been killed. I think it is tragic that thousands of Congolese have lost their lives in these, in these troubles. Congolese, a lot of them who were the educated Congolese in these towns where the rebels moved in, they exterminated the, the only competent Congolese there were. That's part of the tragedy. That is, a, that is, a, that is the, the tragedy of the Congolese people, and it's very real. Anyone?
10: Yes, I'm Mr. My,
12: Malcolm. Yes,
10: in my humble opinion that the United States is getting ready to involve itself in a situation similar to the one that exists for it in Vietnam. It's, it's getting itself bogged down in an area where it will never be able to back out gloriously, in uh, an area where if it stays, it can't stay unless it adds... Uh, uh, adds to its own troops or to its own support. And I think that it started out with about four different mistakes, all of which uh, the United States had a leading hand in. Shortly after the uh, Congo was given its independence and, and Patrice Lumumba was elected the rightful prime minister, a great deal of uh, a hassle broke out between him and Kasavubu. And as you recall, for at one time, there was a question as to who was the rightful head of the Congo. And uh, the United States brought Kasabubu, uh, to the United States and supported him in the United Nations and got the United Nations to be- recognize him and back him as the rightful head. I think a good book that points this out is one by Quizon Zaki, the... Uh, Ghanaian ambassador to the U.N., a book called Africa Unbound. And he even gives the exact date as to when the U.N., through pressure from the United States, supported Kassabubu. The first thing Kassabubu did when he got back to the Congo was to turn uh, Lumumba over to Shambi. Uh, I think it was a mistake when the United States backed Kassabubu, number one, and then after uh, Shombi murdered Lumumba, the second mistake, uh, worst mistake that the United States made, was when she backed Shomby as the Prime Minister of the Congo because uh, no government headed by Shondi, uh will ever bring peace to the Congo because it can never get sufficient popular support and it will always have to be propped up by outside support, white support primarily. But it will never get the recognition of other African states, much less the recognition of the Congolese people. And uh, the another very serious mistake that the United States involved itself in was when it uh, supplied Shambi with sufficient funds to bring these mercenaries in from South Africa, all of whom are deplored uh, by other African states plus the Congolese people. Another very serious mistake she made was when she gave uh, Shambi uh, planes United States planes and then uh, uh, went into uh, Miami, Florida, and uh, got Cuban pilots, anti-Castro, she calls them, anti-Castro Cuban pilots who are American trained and they're the same as American pilots, and put those pilots in those planes to kill Congolese people. This is what the United States has done. This is the part that she has played, and this is the way the Africans around there look at it. And you never will understand it unless you not only understand it as Americans see it, but you have to understand it as Africans see it. And the Africans look upon those so-called anti-Castro-Cuban pilots as American-trained pilots killing Congolese. And then she used her transport planes to help uh, ferry these mercenaries from place to place and used United States soldiers to operate those planes. And all of this, in my opinion, has made the United States image in the Congo overnight, not only in the Congo, but throughout the African continent become a very uh, negative image, which probably in the long run won't, won't do this country any good, not only in the Congo, but won't do it any good in any African country, even in the countries. Is
8: and those were a couple of radio programs, uh, one a panel, one we just heard, a panel of Dr. James H. Robinson, Dr. Sanford Griffith, Dr. Hugh H. Smith, and Malcolm X uh, discussing the Congo. Of course, the Congo now is headed up by
1: Mobutu, who was part of that whole process that happened. Welcome back. And uh, that was uh, excerpts uh, from a radio broadcast in November of 1964. On uh, the situation uh, in Congo, and uh, you're listening to uh, the Pan African Journal. Yes,
0: yes,
4: I was sent out. uh, I did come. I came, and yes, the Negro press did. the negro The Negro press came to us and asked us our story. The Negro press came to us and asked us what took place. Yes, sir. The Negro. Listen, ma'am. The Negro press. The Sentinel, the Eagle, the Herald-Dispatch, Jet, all the Negro press, and not only them, across the country, New York, Amsterdam News, Philadelphia Tribune, all of the Negro papers asked us uh, what happened. And, I, and what made me feel so good, and it makes me even feel more good to see uh, Brother Roy working telegram, that there's not a Negro in America who was gullible enough to eat the story that Chief Talker fed to the uh, wire
5: services. Mr. Eck, since your
0: split with the black Muslim movement, have you formed your own group? Yes. And also, you say that you don't believe that Martin Luther King has solutions. What are your solutions?
4: Well, first, the split resulted in the formation of two groups. Those who left the black Muslim movement regrouped into what has now become known as the Muslim Mosque Incorporated, which is strictly religious, based upon the religion as it is taught in Mecca and Cairo and other centers of Islamic religious learning. Then we realizing that our problem in America, that we are black Americans and we have a problem that goes beyond religion, we formed a group known as the Organization of Afro-American Unity. And the objective of this organization, it's non-religious, number one, any Negro can belong to it, and the objective of of that organization is to bring about a condition that will guarantee respect and recognition of the 22 million black Americans as human beings.
0: Now this is very laudable, but how?
4: Well, by any means necessary. We feel that the problem, number one, of the black man in America is beyond America's ability to solve. It's a human problem, not an American problem or a Negro problem. And as a human problem or a world problem, we feel that it should be taken out of the jurisdiction of the United States government and the United States courts and taken into the United Nations in the same manner that the problems of the black man in South Africa, Angola, and other parts of the world, and even the way they're trying to bring the problems of the Jews in Russia into the United Nations because of violation of human rights. We believe that our problem is one not of violation of civil rights, but a violation of human rights. Not only are we denied the right
8: to be a citizen
4: in the United States, we're denied the right to be a human being.
8: I think a lot of people are confused by the new Arabic name, El-Hajj Malik El-Shabaz. I've always had the name on my passport, Malik uh, El-Shabaz,
4: only I only used it in the Muslim world. Well, Hajj is a title that is given to any Muslim who makes the pilgrimage to Mecca during the official Hajj
8: season. Well, are you, will you now use Shabazz and drop X? I'll probably continue to use Malcolm X because, and I'll probably use it as long as the situation that produced it exists. <laughs> we, you, don't feel, you don't feel that Shabazz takes the place of X? Uh
4: my going to mecca and going into the muslim world into the african world and being recognized and accepted as a muslim and as a brother may solve the problem for me personally but i uh, personally feel that my personal problem is never solved as long as the problem is not solved for all of our people in this country so i remain malcolm x as long as there is a need to protest and struggle and fight
8: against the injustices that our people are involved in in this country. Malcolm, do you intend to lead the charge uh, in the United Nations?
4: Well, I, I find that to say you're going to lead something creates a lot of hostility, division, jealousy, and envy. Uh, I hope to, to work with any group of leaders or any group of organizations to do whatever is necessary to see that this problem is brought before the United Nations.
8: Have you had any commitment from any nations in Africa to support I w- move?
4: I would rather not say at this time. But one thing I found in my travels, all of them look upon us as their long-lost brother.
8: You realize the implication is that you have had such commitments when you say... This is your
4: interpretation of what I said. (laughs) Uh, uh, One thing that I found in all of my travels was that all of the Africans, not only the Africans but the Asians and the Muslims, look upon us as their long-lost brothers. And America had actually tricked many of them into uh, a hands-off policy by giving them the impression that she was honestly trying to do something to solve the problem. My argument over there was designed to prove that it is impossible for the United States
8: government to solve the race problem.
4: It's impossible.
8: Are you prepared to go into the United Nations at this point and ask that charges be brought against the United States for its treatment of American Negroes? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Please. I right in my the audience will
4: have to be quiet. Uh, yes. Yeah as I pointed out when I was in, during my traveling that nations look, African nations and Asian nations and Latin American nations look very hypocritical when they stand up in the United Nations condemning the racist practices of South Africa and that which is practiced by Portugal and Angola and saying nothing in the UN about the racist practices that are uh, manifest every day against Negroes in this society. Even in South Africa, those Africans. Uh, aren't faced with bayonets and aren't faced with police dogs. I, I would be not a man. If I was in a position to bring it in front of the United Nations and didn't do so, I wouldn't be a man.
8: You prepared to work with some of the leaders of the other civil rights organizations? Certainly. certainly,
4: We will work with any uh, groups, organizations, or leaders in any way,
8: as long as it's genuinely designed to get results. Uh, Malcolm, a more controversial remarks was uh, a call for black people to get rifles and form rifle clubs sometime back. Do you still favor that uh, for uh, self-defense? I, you don't, made that I don't see why that should be controversial.
4: I think that if white people found themselves the victim of the same kind of brutality that black people in this country face, and they saw that the government was either unwilling or unable to protect them, that the intelligence on the part of the whites would make them get some rifles and shotguns and protect themselves. Now, Negroes are developing some kind of intellectual maturity, too. And they can see that having waited upon the government to protect them has been a, a weight that has been in vain. So any of them who live in areas where the government is not able to do its job, then we do have to get together and
8: do a job of protecting ourselves. Malcolm, on your trip abroad, you said you sensed a uh, feeling of great brotherhood and that conceivably you would be working toward integration in this country now. At least this is what your reporter to have said. Have any comment on it?
10: I don't think
4: that I ever uh, mentioned anything about working toward integration. They haven't even got integration right here in New York City. You have worse integration problems in the North than they have in the South. So if it doesn't work in the, if you can't bring about integration in New York City as international, cosmopolitan, up-to-date as it's supposed to be, you'll never get integration anywhere else in the country. Does your new beard have any religious significance? No, not particularly, but I do think that you find black people in America, as they strive to throw off the shackles of of uh, mental colonialism, will also probably reflect uh, uh, an effort to show, to to uh, throw off the shackles of uh, cultural colonialism, and they may begin to reflect desires of their own with
8: standards of their own
10: Why are they threatening your life well primarily because they're afraid that I will tell the real reason that I'm out
4: of the black Muslim movement, which I never told. I kept to myself. But the real reason is that Elijah Muhammad, the head of the movement, is the father of eight children by six different teenage girls who were his private personal secretary. The one who first made me aware of this was Wallace Muhammad, Mr. Muhammad's son. And I had uh, stated in a newspaper article about an effort to take my life back in January, and at that time the Muslims denied it. In fact, they tried to make it appear to my brother that I was insane. But on a program in Chicago called Hotline, moderated by Wesley South, Don Ali, the national secretary, admitted that they absolutely
5: were going to kill me. Do you feel that your message of love that you brought back from Islam is the real reason they're after you, because you're not hating as hard as they want you to? Well,
4: I never did hate anybody hard. But I do know that when I wrote that letter saying that there were white people in Mecca, it shook up a lot of Muslims, because most of the Muslims who follow Mr. Muhammad absolutely believed that it was impossible, physically impossible, I should say divinely impossible, for a white person to go to Mecca. And my trip there shattered that image, or that misconception.
7: Anyone call you directly, Malcolm?
4: I've been receiving calls
5: ever since I left the black Muslim movement. And what, what sort of calls, uh, now, come here, you know, disenchanted and deal with the fact that these men who are your brothers are making threats against your life? No, because
10: actually it's not their fault. Now, Joseph and the officials, they have a knowledge of what it's all about. But the rank-and-file Muslim brother does not know what it's all about. They are, out of religious sincerity, they think that they are doing the will of Allah by
4: protecting a man who I myself taught them was divine. So I don't in any way fault them but those who are over them and give the orders, and actually the ultimate order comes from Elijah Muhammad himself. As long as I represented the black Muslim movement as an example of morality, unity, and militancy, as long as I could do that, I represented it. It was when I realized that it could not be represented as that that I came and started working among the non-Muslim uh, Negroes, as I announced, in January, in rather March, and I had no intention of ever even speaking on that. Had they left me alone, you still wouldn't know what really took place.
8: What would you take to protect yourself from this
0: threat?
4: I take no steps. I have a rifle. If anybody comes to my house, without a good reason, I I intend to try and use it, Uh, and that's all. I don't worry. I tell you, I'm a man who believed that I died 20 years ago, and I live like a man who is dead already. I have no fear whatsoever
9: of anybody or anything. Well, these revelations that you are now making about elijah muhammad what effect should they have on his following
4: well i very much doubt that any of his followers who really are aware of what he has done would continue to follow him he may try and justify it by saying that he's a muslim and that a muslim has a right to these wives if this were the case these sisters should not have been humiliated these sisters have been looked upon for the past uh, five years or six years or seven years as uh, being guilty of having committed fornication. They have been debased. They have been degraded. I have heard him himself refer to them as having disgraced him. So if they were his wives, he should have given them a position of respect so that all of his followers would respect them and that they would have his have the protection of his followers today
9: well do you feel that you then perhaps now should take over the leadership of the black muslims
4: no i have no desire to take over the leadership of the black muslims and i have never had that desire but i do have this desire i have a desire to see the afro-american in this country get the human rights that are his due i believe that the islam religion is the best religion for our people because it creates unity and it gives one uh... Uh, dignity and and, uh, racial confidence and all of these things that are necessary to make a complete
9: human being. Are you not, perhaps, afraid of what might happen to you as a result of making these revelations?
4: Oh, yes. I probably am a dead man already.
9: What do you mean? Well,
4: when you you understand the makeup of the Muslim movement and the psychology of the Muslim movement, I myself, by having confidence in the leader of the Muslim movement, if someone came to me, and I had no knowledge whatsoever of what had taken place, and they told me what I'm saying, I would kill them, myself. The only thing that would prevent me from killing someone who made a statement like this, they would have to be able to let me know that it's true. Now, if anyone had come to me other than Mr. Muhammad's son, I never would have believed it, even enough to look into it. But I had been around him so closely, I had seen indications of of the reality of it, but my religious sincerity made me block it out of my mind.
9: Have you received threats on your life? Oh, yes.
4: Uh, I first received threats on my life in January when, I, uh, when it first became known that I had uh, came back to come back to New York and told the captain of the fruit in New York, who was my right-hand man formerly, and also the secretary of the New York mosque and the minister in Boston, when it became known that I had told them, then an effort was made to shut me up. One brother uh, encouraged to go out to my house and shut me up. And uh, fortunately, it was a brother who was well capable of doing so, but it was a brother who was highly intelligent. He was academically equipped to think for himself. And what he was told to do didn't add up. And fortunately, he was the one who put out a feeler to me to find out what was wrong, and I opened his eyes. And then he opened the eyes of the same crew whose job it is to do this kind of work.
9: You mean he was going to kill you? Oh,
4: yes. An attempt was made to get one of them to wire my car with an explosive. That one is with me right now.
9: Elijah Muhammad says of the Muslims, we carry no arms, and we do not seek to win victory with arms. We do nothing to others that we would not have done unto us.
4: Two brothers were sent after me with revolvers by Joseph, the captain of the fruit in New York. They were armed. When a Muslim is attacked, and you'll find this to be the pattern, when the Muslims were attacked in Monroe, uh, Louisiana, uh, Elijah Muhammad gave no signal to anybody.
1: Welcome back. And those were excerpts uh, from interviews uh, delivered uh, by uh, Malcolm X in 1964. And that's going to include our program for today. you have been to special worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Sunday, February 25th, uh, 2024. Like to have access uh, to this program, uh, just go to our website at the Pan African Radio Network. That's at blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. Blogtalkradio.com forward slash Pan African Journal. And if you would like to read the Pan African Newswire, so you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, uh, just go to our website, and uh, that is at um, uh, panafricannews.blockspot.com that's panafricannews.blockspot.com we'll close out uh, with Detroit's own uh, legendary guitarist Kenny Burrell uh, from a 1960, 1957 recording entitled All Day Long this is Abayomi Azikahwe signing off and have a beautiful week mm-hmm.